Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tournament Tested, Force Perspective. This is episode 74, Cloverfield Has Fallen. I am your host, SportsGuy515, and on this episode, we will review and break down some of the recent 2016 releases, such as Hail Caesar, The Witch, Triple Nine, London Has Fallen, and finally, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Before all that good stuff, allow me to introduce my co-host first, my normal Force Perspective co-host, manlier than Gerard Butler himself, ladies and gentlemen, Adolfo. I don't know about Man of the Gerard Butler, but I'm definitely manlier than Gerard Depardieu. Uh, hey, we hey, can make a good case for that. <laughs> and you, but you are taller than Gerard Butler. That much I could, I could almost guarantee. <laughs> He's a very small guy. Although I, my, my beard is probably as bushy as his in in uh, in 300, though. You know, you know, you know who's really small. Who I ran into a Pollo Loco one time was the Jeremy Renner, and he looked oh, yeah, like he, he would, and he looked like he would rather be anywhere except there when he was over. <laughs> Which made it even funnier, but uh, he, he was there, and uh, and it sucks because when these guys are around, like you know, places like that, you get a lot of. Is that him? Is that him? Is, yeah. I, I even heard, I even I'm heard sure. that in the background, so I could just imagine how this guy. He was just pissed. He was like, "Give me my food," and he stormed out of there as fast as possible. But yeah, that was. He was very tiny. That's what stood out to me. Anyway, folks, that lovely gentleman there is our special guest co-host, the man who has the charisma of ten John Goodmans, ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Drake. <laughs> So I'm ready to tackle Back to the Future 3. Let's go. Uh, wrong show. Wrong show. Oh, God <laughs> damn it. I feel like I'm going to have to get in a damn DeLorean pretty soon to try to track down that show somewhere. <laughs> well, what I'm hoping, though, is that you're sitting there uh, drinking a tall beer. And this is radio. <laughs> this is radio, so you can't see me do the tall hand oh, motion like that. Calvin Candy. But I love that scene. <laughs> There's so many things I love about that scene. First of all, the Mandingo did not deserve anything but it, but a cheap beer. And the but way a tall Calvin ex- beer, though. Yeah, the way Kelvin <laughs> explained it, the way he sold it, was he was making the Mandingo believe that he had won the lottery with that one tall glass of beer, as he put it. But I love that scene, man. And remember, he also goes, like, you find him in a room with a soft pen, you bring him a pony to lick his pole. Uh, that's what it was. Yeah, I, I got it wrong on Cape Fabulous. I was already buzzing, so I said it. I thought it was wet the whistle. Yeah, lick his pole. That's what yes. it 
anyway, before we get on I, that tangent, bro. I, I'm, I'm glad he finally won an Oscar. All right. You know. Yeah, we congratulated him big time on the last episode. But uh, all right, let's get to the show. Um, thank you guys for joining me. And uh, we're going to start first, actually, to talk about some of the more uh, the recent trailers that have come out in the last couple weeks. Uh, most notably, uh, Captain America, Ghostbusters, and the one that came out today as of this recording, uh, Ben-Hur. So we can start with Captain America first. I mean, the thing to take away from that one is the the Spider-Man appearance at the Under end. Ruse. Under Ruse, right? So uh, what do you guys think of that trailer? Adolfo, you can start. Uh, I mean, so I'm a big comic geek. I think it's been uh, pretty well established on the show that I'm a big, huge comic book nerd. So to see Spider-Man in the quote-unquote Avengers or slash Marvel Cinematic Universe is really cool to me. Um, the, the trailer was pretty good. I mean, it was like – I didn't know that it was coming, right? So – when you're watching the trailer, the trailer was just kind of standard. It was you saw a couple cool things, but overall, it was like okay, this trailer's fine. But they saved it all for that last. And then the thing is, is like you saw on the the timestamp, it was two like two and a half minutes. And then the 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 Civil War logo came up at like two o five. So there's still twenty five seconds left. So you're sitting there wondering, wait, something's gonna happen after this logo. And then that's when you see the 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 big Spider Man reveal. Uh, I thought it was cool. I think the costume looks good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, to me that that was a cool moment. Um, it to me it also I think uh, they I don't think it's a it's an accident that you know two weeks before Batman versus Superman comes out that they drop that trailer. Uh, and the, I think that's that's kind of a big. They're not they're just they're not letting DC have their moment. They're like, yeah, we know you got a movie coming out, but here's Spider Man. <laughs> now, as a comic bookie, let me just ask you this: What did you think of like the people that were uh, kind of bad mouthing or trashing the Spider Man costume? Because I didn't see anything wrong with it, but I was reading something about how it looks like cheap and how it looks corny. Like, what do you think about that? Uh, I think it looks fine. I I, I don't get why people are all. all I mean, nerds. Nerds can't get out of their own way sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, they they are so used to bitching and bitching about everything that sometimes they just they just don't know how good they have it sometimes. And I'm not saying it's the greatest costume ever seen, but it's fine. It, there's no need to, like, freak out about it. It, there's, it. it looks good. It's fine. Just, you know, get a life, get a girlfriend, like William Shatner said. <laughs> but, but that's the whole thing. Like, like I, I've, I, you know, I've psychoanalyzed wrestling fans on our show many times. And I, and I do think, like, anytime you're dealing with, like, a niche fan base, any niche fan base, I think it's, it's you know, you, you, you kind of identify more with bitching about it, first of all, because you hold those characters so close to you, you know, whatever it is, whether it's sports or wrestling or comics, and... Also, you know, you have an identity through them. It's like it's like it's like this catharsis that you're living through them. So if you just agree with everything they put out, it's almost like you're invisible. It's it's when you it's when you actually have an opinion that that's gonna matter. And then you know, so that's why you see a lot of negativity on, on especially online. But uh, we gotta be careful because that is at the end of the day that is still very much the minority. You know, so um, right. most people just go to a movie to sit on their ass and have a good time for an hour and a half, two hours. And, and those are the kind of people that the studios want to attract. You know, it's like I've always said about wrestling. They already got our money. I'm already going to WrestleMania. You know, I pay $300 for my seat. I'll be there whether the card sucks or not because I'm yeah. a hardcore. 
you know, and same thing with movies. I mean, if, if it's a great movie that we're all looking forward to, good, bad, or indifferent, we're going to be there opening night or whatever or, or opening weekend. So it's, it, the studio's job is not to appease us. Although the good thing about that is that in modern times, you, you know, in this era, we do have a lot of filmmakers that, that, that were fanboys, you know, and then they rose to the ranks and then they're kind of making movies for, for themselves, which by definition is movies for us. But besides that, the studios are always going to go for the bottom line, which is how do we get your average Joe who doesn't like this uh, to come in and pay 12 bucks to sit in the movie theater? That's their main goal. And that's that's the hard part for them. And you attract your average Joe by giving them a, a lot of, you know, smoke and mirrors and whistles and pyro and ballyhoo and all that stuff. That's what people like. So. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, you know, the fanboys are always going to have an opinion. And um, the good thing about that is that there's something called a general consensus. And that's really what I listen to. Because eventually when you have yeah. so many opinions, you're going to create a bow-shaped curve and it's going to it's gonna give you a, an overall opinion of whether a movie sucks or exactly. doesn't suck. So right. it, it, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. and I think, But I think that my issue is that uh, I'm, I'm, criti- I'm I, For example, I've been very critical of, of the Batman versus Superman film based just on what I've been reading on the on the production of it and on the trailers and things like that. But I am very critical of comic book movies in general. But I even know, like, when I can step back and like some things you don't need to be critical about. The, that Spider-Man costume, it looked fine. It looked like Spider-Man. That's all that matters. Did you recognize it was Spider-Man? Yes. Then it worked. That's all you need to know. But you were critical of the apocalypse costume, though. I remember that. No, actually, I wasn't. I, I'm not. I'm not critical. Well, of the well, you, well, somebody was, but yeah, that was. D must be because must, I'm must not. D with the like I, I'm actually, I, I'm actually get roll my eyes the people who call him Ivan Ooze because it's like, all right, enough. Like it, it's just a stupid criticism. Like I know, I know some people are like they wanted to translate it directly from the comics, but you know, I, I I'm on, I'm on, the, I'm in the minority to think that that apocalypse costume would have looked dumb. In, in, in if they directly translated it, that's just me. My my only beef with all that is if you're gonna if you're gonna go that route. I mean, I don't mind that because I'm not I'm not a comic book fan or nothing. I'm just going to the movie to enjoy it. But why would you hire Oscar Isaac, who's who's if he signs on to a project, he's gonna give you he's gonna bring his talent as an actor to the yeah. screen. And if you're gonna have him under all that makeup and all that, unless they have scenes where he's you know he look he could emote, you know what I'm saying. Other than that, I don't know because we haven't seen him in the trailer just looking regular. But if he's just gonna be like that throughout the entire picture, then it could have been a stun guy, you know, which is what a lot of these studios do anyway. If you're gonna go that it route, could have, it could have been David Prowse in Star Wars, or it could have been Andy Serkis getting another payday since you know he's that's his <laughs> that, that, that's his thing now. But the thing with these fanboys that don't oh, that don't get it is like. The X-Men movies have never been faithful to the to the comics as far as the costumes go. They've always drastically changed them. Like so why would they expect Apocalypse to be any different? The only one in this movie that looks um that looks like her her comic book character is uh, Olivia Wilde's or Olivia Munn. Like wait, which one's which? Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn's character whose name is Psylocke, um she looks almost the same except that they take they, they Altered it a little bit, and then and fanboys lost their shit about that too. So I don't know. It's you can never you can never appease fanboys sometimes. And and same the same it's you know whether it's the Captain America's you know uh, Civil War trailer or the X Men trailer, which also came out today. Uh, but it's they sometimes they you can't you just can't appease them. Right, right. So, um, but as far as the the Civil War trailer, I mean, I enjoyed it. You know, it's it, it it's a great trailer. Now I like how they're doing now. Now they're doing uh, what is it? Uh, post credit scenes for trailers now too. So, uh, <laughs> you, you know, it's like we're getting the trailers for trailers. The post, 
yeah, yeah, there you go. And so, <laughs> yeah, not, uh, just, not just that, but Laz, it's like Mark said, that, like the two or three days before, they did like a like a ten second teaser for the trailer, and I was like, all right, this is that's a little much. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all viral marketing. It gets the marks like all excited and yeah. stuff, but uh, but but I mean, I mean, it, it looks like a fun time, and then I, you know, I, I really like that the running time is gonna be you know two hours and thirty minutes, which is the kind of things that I look for because you know I don't like that whole you know uh, like 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 Ultron. I thought Ultron with a little more time he could have been a little more developed. You know, that's the kind of nerdy shit that I look for. So when I see that Dawn of Justice is getting two hours and thirty minutes, and then uh, Civil War is getting two hours, that that to me is like. Okay, well, somewhere in in, in this uh, the studios gave gave a lot of leeway to the to the filmmakers because you know the studios are always thinking bottom line and they're thinking how many assets could we get in a day so they do all this cutting but you know two hours and thirty minutes I think it's a good time to tell the story they want to tell so I was very happy with that and um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you guys so uh, we're not gonna get the Civil War storyline that's in the comics right that's no. a fact no so it, it is gonna be kind of like a loose adaptation because. Um, it seems like the driving force in the film is going to be Bucky Barnes and, and how he's, he's, he's I, it seems like he's a criminal and they, and there's parts people want to, well, I don't know if they want to arrest him or what, but there, there's two sides to this coin. Well, I, and, I, go ahead. I think, I think they're, um, they're, they're doing kind of like, they're trying to marry the two, right? So in the comics, the, uh, there was, there was an inciting incident where basically some superheroes acted irresponsibly and uh, pretty much an entire town got blown up, and then that's what kind of started the registration superhero registration thing that happened. And then you know some you know obviously then then they, they they split up with Team Iron Man and Team Captain America, and then they fought. So it seems like that is still sort of going to happen where they they're going to require people to quote unquote register, but uh, because because I think that's what the whole point of the the beginning of the film or uh, the trailer was where they were showing. Which, which I liked, where they were showing all the massive destruction from the previous movies, um, and, and they were showing how people have to be responsible for it. Um, but the the quote-unquote inciting incident will be Bucky instead of like what they had in the comics. So I think it's going to be like a little mixture of both, but I think they're going to basically just take the loose concept and just go their, their whole, whole new direction with it. Okay, so in the comics, it's uh, who's for for signing up? That's uh, Captain America, right? And Iron Man is the the one that does, or is it the other way around? No, Iron Man work is working for the government in the comics and in the movie, and Captain America is the one who who uh, who thinks that they don't, they shouldn't have to. Oh, okay. See, I like that too because we've had two films, like, well, actually more than two. Actually, you can count the Avengers films as well. We've had, we've had four films of like. I feel like uh, Captain America kind of getting burned by his own government because I love how they established that he was like this all-out, you know, patriot and, and this trooper that would literally die for his country as they showed in uh, Captain America 1 when he jumped right. into the grenade. And you see, this, you see this entire story building up to him kind of constantly getting burned by his government and him starting to like finally realize that, you know, his government ain't what, it, what they set out to be. And then now we're starting to see the switch. So I like that, that, that whole storyline they've, they've been building up. Yeah, I do too. And actually, I, I never would have thought this when they started building these this universe together. But um, the Captain America, quote unquote, franchise of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is actually turning into my favorite part of it because I think I like it more than the Iron Man one. Because the Iron Man, to me, out of the three movies, the solo Iron Man movies, there's only one good Iron Man movie. I don't like the other two. Uh, and Captain America's had two good movies, in my opinion. If this yeah. one also delivers, <laughs> that's true. The, then it's to, then to me it's the most success, it's the most successful trilogy. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Everything you just said, 
so um yeah i was very excited for that trailer and um you know they, they it was built it was built perfectly and now i think we're gonna get maybe one more before the before the release no i think that's it right because it's it opens no it opens in two months uh, so, I don't know. I don't know. You might get one more because they maybe. usually do three trailers for big movies, and this is only the second one. Yeah, I mean, you got all the TV spots, random it's, TV spots. It, it's like, it's they, they've had like two and a half because they had the big Super Bowl one, which is like a minute long or something, but that didn't really show a lot of footage, new footage. So they've only had two real trailers. So I I, I wouldn't be surprised to get one more. Yeah, the, I know the first one focuses on Black Panther a lot. Like that's the first time you really see him, and then the second one was all about like Spider-Man at the end. Although Black Panther is, you do see him running around, which is gonna be weird because he's gonna be introduced in this movie, but his story won't be told till till you know down the line. That's kind of weird. Although in the in the trailer you do see like him like in the rubble of like a, a building that club blown up or something. So I wonder if that's what makes him join the fight or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if they're going to kill off War Machine, because they show him there. Yeah, they, laid yeah out. that's true. I think that's a fake-out. I mean... Cause it probably why, is. Because why would you show it, you know? <laughs> yeah, plus, I think at this point, they're not going to... Even, even you know, the, the, when, when when this movie was in its, in its embryonic stages, everybody was talking about how you know, Captain America's going to die and Bucky's going to take his place. I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but now that I see kind of how they tell their stories... I just don't think they have the balls to pull that off. No, I don't. I don't think they'll kill Captain America, even though that's kind of what happens at the end of Civil War in the comics that they they have Captain America killed, and then you know later he comes back because it's comic books and they never stay dead. But um, but that's kind of what happens in the comics. But I don't think that'll happen here. If anybody dies, I think it'll. I don't think anybody will die. But if anybody, if they ever pull the trigger on killing somebody, I think it has to be Hawkeye. Right, right. Speaking of Jeremy Renner, although he's all over the place. Although he did, he did have actually my second favorite moment in the trailer whenever he shot the arrow and then you see Ant Man running off of it, which I thought was really yeah, cool. Yeah, oh, I was happy to see Ant Man. <laughs> Definitely, I so, so, I, so I guess the the third act I imagine is going to be you know like the Survivor Series teams. You know, it's going to be one side against the other and just duking it out. You know, but it's going to be kind of weird because I feel like if 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 one of those characters doesn't end up paying the ultimate prize, and it's all going to come off a big cartoony. You know, I feel like if the stakes are that high, that we're going to lose at least a couple of the characters. That, that that's we have to. I just feel like that's the only way to tell this story. Yeah, if not a yeah. couple, then somebody. You might be right you, about you, that. You can't well, just be like, oh, we're going to fight for thirty minutes. Oh, okay, it's over. Let's shake hands now. You know, and every it's like like playing baseball in the sandlot when you're a little kid. You know, you can't. I, I feel like I would be very disappointed. From a storyline perspective, if they go that route, I feel like with this, with the stakes these high, this high, you gotta kind of sacrifice a couple characters. Well, they did, they did kill Quicksilver in Avengers, so maybe, may, I mean, so, maybe. so like the the precedent has been set that you can kill character. Obviously, you're not. I don't think they'll ever kill Iron Man, Captain America, or Thor. But the precedent has been set that the minor characters are expendable. Yeah, yeah, and also it's gonna be a tricky line because if you're if they're fighting each other. You can't you can't turn the one that kills. Let's say one who kills the character, then he's gonna have to turn back Babyface to go, eventually go against Thanos. So that's gonna be a tricky part. You yeah, know? I'm, so, I'm, I'm, it'll be interesting how they how they manage that one. Yeah, I'm very yeah. excited about that. The only thing I, that I, I go ahead. No, I was, I was just gonna say I, I just think it's it's amusing that as far as the geek community goes online everyone is more excited about this movie than they are about Batman and Superman, even though Batman and Superman is a fairly new idea. And we've seen these Avengers movies like how many years in a row now? So, but people are still more excited about that. 
Yeah, but the counter-argument to that is that well, they do have the established characters, you know what I'm saying? So you, there's really reason, you, you've are, you're, you're already invested as a fan in the, in the Avengers storyline. So it's almost like... That's you, true, you, but Batman and Superman are iconic characters that everyone knows, you know, and people still don't care. Yeah, the other thing, too, is that if Man of Steel had been a little more well-received, I think there'd be more excitement for this Batman-Superman, but... Because, you know, Man of Steel wasn't that great, that's why it's, I guess, a little more apathy than anything. So I, I guess they are gonna they are gonna address uh, Zod and, and Superman's destruction of half of the world during their fight because I guess that's what that's what pisses off uh, Batman to begin with. So and I you guess know, yeah, and I'll give I'll give them credit for that too because I, I was really pissed off about the Man of Steel thing doing that. But if they're at least gonna address it, I'm gonna give them some credit for that. But uh, and I'm not gonna shit on the movie before it comes out. But I'm I, all I can say is that I'm not excited about it. It comes out in two weeks as of this recording, so I, I mean I'll be over there opening week, and I'm not gonna be there opening day because I don't care that much. Actually, about it, it's next next week because it's the well today when this drops it'll be the 18th and then the 25th is next. Oh, week. that's right, it is next week. Yeah. Next week. So, so um, yeah, I'll see it opening weekend, but I'm not gonna be there opening day like yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, it's not like a Star Wars, you know, for me. I'm gonna just go with the weekend, check it out. <laughs> Unfortunately, we'll see what happens. But. Now, uh, uh, I was gonna say a tra- Speaking of Marvel, another trailer that I marked out for was the Daredevil trailer. Have you guys seen it? Uh, I haven't seen the latest one. I saw the two, the one that folk like they released about a month ago. They released yeah, the one trailer that fo- for the trailer. Yeah, they yeah. yeah, they had one. Well, they had they had two. They had one that focused on the Punisher and one that focused yeah. on Elektra. And I saw those two. But then there was another one that came out like this week that I did not see. Yeah, well, it looks very interesting, and, and with 13 episodes, they're going to get really juicy with the plot, so I'm very excited for it, you know. Um, it's a shame, because the the network, the Netflix uh, original programming, when it comes to the Marvel series, they're all great, because they have the, you know, they have the platform to be great, let's be real about it. They got, they got 13 hours to play with, and everybody gets enough time, everybody gets developed, but nobody's watching them, just, I don't know, I don't know if it's because nobody, you know, nobody ever talks about those shows, and it's a shame to me, because they're, they're, they're pretty fucking good. Well, the thing is, is, we have no measure of, there's no measure of knowing how well they're doing, because Netflix doesn't release that information, right? Um, they just, all, the only way we know if, if it's doing well is if they renew, renew it for another season, right? But we don't right. actually know how many viewers they're actually getting, because it's not, it's not like TV where you can see ratings. Right, but then you have like a, like like a couple shows like Orange is the New Black and like House of Cards. Everybody talks about those. That's like, true. That's true. Know, so so it, it just I just feel like for whatever reason the fanboys I don't know if it's like a like a subconscious thing where they still think that they still think that TV television is like like downgraded from film, which I don't think it's true anymore. It was about five to five ten years ago, but it's not true anymore. And uh, they're just it just doesn't get the kind of media it should get because I love right. those shows. And they, I mean, the budget is not there, and and sometimes you could tell when they're trying to save money. But 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 the story. See, the, the what separates this the, the television from film is the storyline aspect. You're always going to get a juicier storyline, and your investment is going to pay off more because you've sacrificed 13 hours instead of a couple hours. Uh, you're not going to get the, the 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 budget of a big movie, but you're going to get the story. And if that's your thing, then yeah. people should watch these shows. You know, it's it's interesting. You said that you're right. Uh, for Daredevil, when it came out. I only really saw like hardcore geeks talking about Daredevil. I didn't really see like the penetration that House of Cards or um, Orange is a New Black get on social media. But interestingly, though, when Jessica Jones was out, I saw a lot of women talking about it on social media, women that weren't comic book fans. So I, I think that it kind of hit like this kind of 
interesting little audience of like women that are like into those kind of shows with like a lead female protagonist uh, that is has a little bit of like fantasy elements, kind of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something like that. Uh, right. Because it, it, I felt like that kind of because my wife watched it. My wife hates superhero shit. Like she hates it, but she watched it and she loved it. So like, it, and I saw a lot of other people, a lot of other women talking about it. So that's I think that's kind of interesting. Well, it has relationship problems with Luke Cage. Anytime you want to attract women, you throw something with relationship problems and you're going to get the pirate. <laughs> that, that's, why, that's why weddings always, they always draw money in wrestling because the women always watch it. <laughs> is that even still true? I mean, what was the last wedding we really had? Actually, that is true. The last one would have been in TNA. I think it was the, the Brooke one where, where they, they, the Aces and Nates debuted, I remember. And that was a big hit for the time. For some reason, weddings draw ratings. They always have. The last one I remember, I don't watch TNA, so I don't know. The last one I remember was Daniel Bryan and AJ. Uh, That's right. That was another. That one also drew big ratings. But it, it didn't end. Like, didn't she like become general manager or something? Yeah, yeah that, that, was, that was weird. Yeah. yeah. yeah That's when she got the little push there for a while. Right. So, uh, what's the next trailer you want to talk about? Anyway, well, I mean, I was just gonna say, you know, we pretty much agreed. You know, the Captain America trailer was great. We're excited for that. The Ghostbusters one, uh, I, I I watched it and <sighs> it, 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 I'm, I'm that's another one like Batman and Superman. I'm not very excited about this. Just you on know, the trailer alone, I'm not I'm not feeling this one. You know how? Here's the thing, I wanted this trailer to be great. I want I really wanted it to be amazing because I want because you know we live in an era now where like if you say anything negative about that film. People are immediately going to attack you for being a misogynist. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of guys out there that are just being misogynist about this whole women Ghostbusters thing. And that that's not my my point of view on this at all. Like I, I'm fine with female Ghostbusters. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a smart stra- uh, marketing strategy. My my problem with it from the beginning has been that it, they made it a reboot first of all, and then some of the casting choices I didn't really like. And then even after all that, I was like, but maybe, you know, there's still some talented people involved in this. You know, maybe they'll pull it off. And then I saw that trailer. I'm like, wow, that was the least funny trailer for a comedy I have seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Kristen Wiig. So I saw, I, I was going to give it a chance just for her. But yeah, me after, too. See, after seeing this trailer, it's like, I don't know. And then. You know the the they they, they want to get on the on the fanboys for being you know what do you call it misogynistic or what did you say that's a misogynist, big word for yeah. the team yeah uh, but then again what about them kind of you know almost verifying their own stereotypes with the angry black woman role I hope she's not an yeah. angry black woman throughout the entire movie because that 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 joke dies uh, actually it died with me in the trailer that's it I've had enough that's of that that's character. a one trick pony you're right you know it, I've had enough of the angry black woman character we've seen it in the past and it, it dies out quick and, and it'll be it's very it would be very embarrassing to me in 2016 if that's the entire character they, they have to offer for that for that you know for that lady who I guess is I, I don't watch Esther now anymore but I guess she's one she does that gimmick kind of like now not as a ghostbuster but that's her gimmick on SNL just being the angry black woman so um I, I, I take it that's what she's gonna bring to this table but um just just um you know this is the cliche right here just no heart in this trailer man and I'm always the type of guy that I, I, I am excited for Batman and Superman just because you know I'm a fan of a lot of the people involved and 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 it looks it look, visually looks great which is you know people Zack Snyder knows how to make visually stunning movies I don't not yeah, storyline but one thing he does have for him is that visually stunning movies are his thing. But yeah, so I'm, exci- I, I, I'm excited for that. 
and I always try to give movies the benefit of the doubt, but at the end of the day, you still have to impress me with your trailer. That's what that's why it's a trailer. It's supposed to entice me to pay money to see the whole thing. And I saw this Ghostbuster trailer, and I'm like, it just it looks kind of dry and wooden, you know. Yeah, and I it, hope it just the movie's came out like, very awkward. Like just the line delivery from Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, they all just came off very awkward and not funny. Yeah, yeah the, so, the whole trailer just seems like man. they didn't believe the, the the jokes. Like they didn't believe their own uh, their own acting. That's how it came off, you know. And it's, and it seems like they're gonna draw little parts from part two, and then Slimer's in there for no reason, and it's like I I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I the I don't even know where to start. So like the the what what bothers me the most is like the the marketing behind this is just plain lying to you, right? So like in the beginning of the trailer, you see something like uh, thirty years ago. You know, four scientists, which it wasn't four scientists, it was three scientists and a black guy. <laughs> but four scientists saved the world uh, or saved the city or something like that, right? And kind of leading you to believe that it's in the same universe as as the old movies, but it's not. So they're trying to like like fool the 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 old old school fans that you know didn't know about this movie or didn't or didn't know didn't like read the internet every day to, uh, about Ghostbusters news or whatever, and, and thinking it's like the same thing, but it's not. It's just a completely new thing that they've remade. So and essentially I, I like Terminator Genesis. Really... Yeah. Well, it's a little worse, because at least within the storyline of Terminator Genesis, and, and yes, folks, stop the presses. I am quasi-defending Terminator Genesis. Because <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's it, at least there was some semblance of connection. In, in the universe, there was a connection. This yeah. film, they're trying to fool you into thinking there's connection when there's no connection. It's just yeah, another it's just movie. Really dishonest. Like yeah. they, even show, they even show the firehouse, but the fire. But from what I've been reading about the the, the plot details, they don't work out of the firehouse. They work out of like a Chinese theater or a Chinese uh, uh, restaurant. So that like so why even show the firehouse? You know, like it's just it's such a it's like that whole opening part of it is really dishonest. And and they kind of try. They almost get you because they have like the 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 theme music kind of playing. Like it's a kind of a remix of the of the theme music, and you start you kind of start to build up a little hope. But as the trailer goes on, you're like, oh no, no, this thing is not gonna work. By the way, that's the new thing with trailers now. That whole remixing of old school songs. I I, I first heard it in the Jurassic World trailer, which I popped for. But now it's getting a little tedious with these uh, with these piano key, low key, <laughs> fucking score themes of the originals, you know, for the new, for the reboots or the remakes or the sequels or whatever. So, um, you I, know, I'm, but, I'm, I'm still I'm still kind of amazed that speaking of trailers, uh, trailer cliche, I'm still amazed that they're still using the the Inception sound on every trailer now, still. <laughs> that dong, every trailer. Every trailer that has like a, for like an epic movie that always uses that it really it's getting on my nerves. Anyway, <laughs> Ghostbusters. And every, and every time every time I see Kevin Hart show up in a trailer, which seems like it's in every fucking movie every I go to, trailer, now, bro. I was like, fuck. That's something with the Inception sounder. Kevin Hart's in it. And you're like, fuck. Uh, <laughs> what what movie? I forgot what movie I went to see like several months ago, where like two like two or three trailers before the movie were all Kevin Hart movies. I forget what yeah. it was. Yeah, well, I don't doubt it one bit. I, I hear you because oh, I feel so it too. It's like, yeah. you guys get, it's like you guys getting all the Monday Night Raw. So I swear there's one every month for you guys. I swear there is if I go back and look. You know, it's the same thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this trailer just, you know, it, it, it's not 
again, it's not the women that's the problem. It's it's the it's the movie. I mean, the this movie... first trailer is the first impression on the film, and it's it's not good right now. So. And here's the thing: whenever you have a comedy, like how many times have you seen comedies where like they they put so many jokes in the trailer that you it almost ruins the movie because you you saw all the funny things in the movie or in the trailer. Like they didn't put anything funny. There's nothing funny. No, this is like just, this Ghostbusters. Is Ghostbusters, the original one, um, kind of walked the line of being a funny movie, but then during some of the ghost parts having, like, some scary stuff. So, like, when I was a kid and I was watching that at five, six, seven years old, I thought the uh, the woman in the library, whenever she, like, you know, goes all big, I thought that was, like, uh, kind of scary. I thought the, the demon dogs were scary. But, like, I don't see the ghost looking that scary, and I don't think the comedy is that funny. So, what, I mean... What am I going What's your for? draw, exactly? What's the draw? And what worries me is that it's going to be one big slapstick movie, which seems like the trailer was trying to tease it was, and that's not what the Ghostbusters is at all. There, there's a lot of semblance of legitimate drama in, Ghost, in the Ghostbuster movies, you know, and, and, and every character has their own issues going on, and, you know, so, so if we're going to get, like, you know, these four girls sleeping on a banana peel for an hour and a half, it's going to totally suck, and that's what I oh, think is going to happen. Which, which at the very, you know, like, the big... <laughs> so, like... The Spider-Man moment of this trailer, you know, in the in the sense that like the the, the thing that's supposed to that last bit that's supposed to sell you on the movie yes, was Slimer. Leslie Jones slapping the crap out of Melissa McCarthy. Oh, and you're I like, <laughs> really? This yeah. is this this is supposed to be funny? Yeah, Doesn't someone it's, it's, at some point say like, oh, that's gotta hurt? <laughs> <laughs> like the the most cliched like like '90s line from a comedy. Like, come on, this oh, so bad. And I know that there's another, in, there's like an international trailer too that has some different scenes, there's different footage and stuff. There's one funny line in the international trailer, which I laughed at, and the rest of the trailer was just as crappy though. And it was, did you guys see the international trailer at all? I didn't even know there was one. No, I, I didn't see the. All right, there is, but I'm not, I'm not going to ruin the, the 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 line for you then. But there's, and it's Leslie Jones's line. But there's one funny line in the whole, but it's basically the same thing. We're just sitting there going, "Wow, this is bad. This is really bad." <laughs> I have, uh, I have uh, my 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 expectations and my hope for this movie was already pretty low. It's it's pretty non-existent at this point. Uh, right. Yeah, because we talked about that on other episodes how basically you know what the point of this remake was, and then this this trailer didn't help at all. But uh, speaking of trailers that didn't really help their cases at all, there was one that came out today, and that was for uh, Ben Hur, and I mean, what's the point of this remake? To, yeah, what's that? I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that came out actually today. And um, again, what's the point of this remake? I'm pretty sure that the Charlton Heston version of the film, which is also a remake, is the pretty definitive version of, of, of Ben-Hur as far as on film. What's Why the need for a remake? And then they so, had like the corny, it had the corny like rock soundtrack, you know, in the background. You had Morgan Freeman there who looked very odd in, in this movie. Like, I don't know what he's doing there. Yeah. Why? Because he's the only black man in the in the movies. It, it looks like spend? Gods of Egypt, pretty much. <laughs> right, and then there's the they show clips of the chariot scene, which looks CGI'd all to hell, and it's just like, what's the point of this, man? Like, what what are you, what are you doing? I, so, I don't get it. I'm a big mark for the um for those old like 1950s grand Hollywood spectacle movies like um like Ben Hur and the Ten Commandments and. Which is funny because one of the movies we're going to talk about today kind of ties into this, but um, but I'm a big mark for that stuff, and uh, you know to let's to be completely fair, 
1959 version was a remake uh, in itself. It was a remake of a 1925 movie. Um, but, you know, and I get that they're, they're adapting an old story and everything, but when I saw this trailer, I just, it just looks, everything looks fake. Like, everything on screen, other than the costumes that the people are wearing, everything else on screen looks like CGI and fake. Yes. And I, and it just, and it's, it's cut like a, like a Gods of Egypt or a, like what's an that Ridley, movie. What's that Ridley Scott movie that came out last year with Christian Bale and and uh, it was about Moses? What was that movie called? Uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Ex- yeah, it looked like that. Yeah, it was like, nice. Uh, it just looked like this, just like CGI nightmare of a movie that had you know, very fast paced cut, and it's just like, what's the point of this? Who who who's sitting around like like clamoring for a new Ben Hur movie? Right, <laughs> when the well, when the nineteen fifties version was was pretty the pretty definitive one and one that's influenced you know filmmakers since then. Yeah, but I'm sure there was a studio executive who's like, oh, we could reintroduce it to a new audience. The kids will love this. The, the chariot scene's gonna get over. Plus, we already own the rights to it. We don't have to buy anything. There's no overhead in that. Let's go ahead and make it. You know, and and that's it. That's why we get these kind of films. I mean, I get that, but it just. Like when you watch the trailer, there's literally no point to it. There's literally no point to this remake. Just like there's really isn't about eighty five percent of the remakes have no point. Like really, they don't. It just, it just that they already have the franchise and it's it's cheap uh, movie making or cheaper because some of these films are pretty expensive. Yeah. But uh, you know. Actually, you know, you know what it reminds me of? Because I was going to say Gods of Egypt. I, I originally said Gods of Egypt and uh, Exodus, but you know what it actually reminds me of? Remember that movie Pompeii that came out last year? Right, with our yeah. Peter Sutherland, right? <laughs> that's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of Pompeii. Now, here's the, here's the, what bothers me. Okay, so we've had this track record. What was the big hit that started this shit? Because over the last five years, we've had all these, you know, Gods of Egypt, Exodus, Pompeii, uh, this one coming up, and they never work. They never fucking work, but they keep on making them. So they I'm trying to think that... They had to be that they, they had to be that one that made a gazillion dollars that they're always trying to copy from, you know. Which one is it? I think it was Clash of the Titans. Yes, that's the one. I was trying to think yeah, of that right now. Yeah, yeah. Clash yeah. of the Titans, because that that first Clash of the Titans movie made made a good amount of money, and and but I don't know why they're still, but like they haven't worked since then, so I don't know why they're keep why they keep trying. Yeah, and they never work, and they're not good at all. Not even Wrath of the Titans. That one really sucked. Yeah, I, that I, one was not Wrath of the Titans. And and, saw, and the thing, I, go ahead. No, I say I saw I saw the the Clash of the Titans. I thought it was alright. I still like the the really cheesy '80s one better though. Is that the one they showed us in elementary school like ten times when I was a kid? I think no, no, that would have been the uh, the the one with uh, with um, uh, Henry Housen's effects. Well, they both had Harry Harry Housen effects. I'm oh, sorry. okay. Sorry, um, sir. Sorry, hold on. Not both. The the Clash of the Titans had Harry Housen effects. Okay. Okay. The, the 80s one. Yeah, the 80s. No, one. no. Okay, okay, good. That's the one I remember watching. I like that one. Yeah. The... Anyway. But, yeah, but... Uh, yeah this Ben Hur trailer, not not doing it for me. Nope, not not doing it for me. Just like Ghostbusters, just thumbs down. And what's what's the point? That's the question I ask. What's the point? Is that <laughs> a know? summer release, that Ben Hur movie? Uh, I, I didn't even look at the date because I, I don't care. <laughs> okay, I, actually, I actually kind of have to figure Because I want to know what audience they think they're going to get with this. 
I mean, there's uh, going to be a built-in audience for these types of movies already, anyway. So they're gonna they're gonna make money. But it's an August release. They're releasing this in August. Ooh, really? That's interesting. Actually, I, I, I think it's like when they really dump like the movies. <laughs> like January and August, like the dumping grounds for films. I've noticed. But uh, right. Anyway, but so I mean, uh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I was gonna switch subjects because one of the trailers that didn't do anything for me that I saw when I saw uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane was uh, the new X Men trailer. That one is actually working in reverse with me, because because it went back to your, just your typical you know superheroes fighting on you know you know what I'm saying that whole just showing all kinds of explosions and worried looks on their faces over and over, and it's like I've seen that trailer about a gazillion times in the last ten years for the same plot and the same movies. So um, when I saw that X Men trailer, I thought it was a uh, it was a little uninspired. And I guess the you know the the big reveal of that one because that's the trailer that we talked earlier. The big trailer thing is finally showing. You know, Professor Xavier with his bald head. That's the last shot of the movie. So um, I don't know. It just, it just seems to me like it's. It, it, I'm not as excited as I was for the other two. Uh, I guess you would say X-Men reboot movies when I saw those trailers. Well, you might be right about it being uninspired. I kind of had that vibe too, but I, I didn't hate it though. Like I, I enjoyed it for what it was. But uh, I, you might be right. I mean, it's just like the the same basic you know template for a trailer just rehashed again. But even like the storyline, like Xavier's gonna get possessed for a little while, and they have to bring him back, and it's like, oh my god, we've been there so many times already, you know? Yeah. And how do you? And it, and it's apocalypse. How do you kill apocalypse? I guess you can't kill them technically. So it's like, what do you know? It's stuff like that. It's gonna happen. It might. It'll probably be like a big cop out or something. But <laughs> kind of yeah. like uh, Age of Apocalypse was, you know, the the Bro. the comic series. But anyway, um, I'm kind of. I like the X-Men series. I think they've had a lot of misses, but I, I do think they've had a lot of hits, too. Uh, they're kind of 50-50 <laughs> as far as uh, success rate. Um, but um, I like the Days of Future Past a lot. But Me, too. This, I love that th movie. This, um, I will admit that these trailers have been a little underwhelming. But I'm still I'm still a geek enough to like them to, to that I'm gonna go see them and stuff. But uh, hopefully it's more Days of Future Past and less you know X-Men Origins. Exactly. So, uh, so, so they, at this point, they haven't recruited Wolverine, right? Because he's nowhere. He's nowhere in the trailer. Correct. I think. I think. I don't think he's in it at all. I think Hugh Jackman has filmed his last X Men movie. Like, if he's got another Wolverine solo movie coming up, but uh, as far as like him hanging out with the X Men, I think he's done. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he, he's not unless, unless they throw a cameo, which I'm sure they will, because he always comes they back might. to that. But, but uh, maybe they'll show him, and he's like in Canada somewhere, like doing something else or something. But. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. It's just very underwhelming trailer, and and that's like I said, that's having the negative effect on me. I was excited for the first one, and the excitement is dying out with every trailer they've been showing of this movie. Now that I think about it, though, didn't at the end of Days of Future Past, like Striker picked them up? So oh, uh, he did. That's right. Yeah, so maybe no, no, like no. they'll show that, like a little that was scene. Myst it was Mystique as Striker. As Striker. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Mystique is in the movie, but Wolverine is nowhere. Which is weird because I don't know. Doesn't that give away the ending? Because if because if Wolverine's around quote-unquote, in modern times, then eventually the X-Men win because he's not around then, so eventually they're going to come to a point where they recruit him, and he'll be there. So, ah, it gets confusing. This is this time travel <laughs> shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're, still, we're still dealing with the old X-Men because they're all still young. So if, if we're seeing movies with Xavier old now as... as, as uh, what's, what's his name? The Star Trek guy? Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Yeah, if, he, if then that gives away the ending to this one. They they actually they win right because we've seen them old. So I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it. I don't know. Well, I <laughs> he think might be right though. Actually. To get to 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 to, 
to not to get into too much deep uh, deep nerd stuff, like the last movie uh, created a new timeline. So this stuff is all now a new timeline. Yeah, but but the the, the the new timeline also had Patrick Stewart being old. No, I didn't. Right, oh, that's right. I didn't. He wasn't in it as being the old Patrick Stewart. Right. So, and does, um, time travel never makes sense. That doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah, but it fucks it up because if Wolverine ain't there, it's still giving away the ending because eventually he will be. So it's still they still win even without the time travel because eventually they recruit him later on in the timeline. That's so, true. That's so, true. Um, it's just weird. I guess right now we're in between the fuck off at the bar and then recruiting them. That's the timeline that we're in, you know, where where he's still not part of them. So, right. um, you know, where they where they found them in the bar in uh, right. the first in so, uh, first class, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but those Wolverine movies are never good. So I, I hope they go out with a with a bang and give us a good Wolverine movie. Well, remember they said they, they might be rated R now. Not that this a you know that means any quality, but. You know that, that they're gonna try to make that second Wolverine film. They said uh, a rated R film based on the whole Deadpool success, but we'll see about that. Um, but anyway, um, I guess we can start with our films now, and uh, we're gonna start with one that I personally haven't seen, although I really did want to see it because I'm a big fan of the Coen Brothers. Um, that's Hail Caesar. I know Draven. No, no, actually, no, no. I haven't seen it. I forgot to tell that I have. Oh, not you haven't seen it. it? Oh, no, okay. So well, then, uh, Adolfo will handle this one. That'll be all Adolfo then. So uh, I'll give you the floor here. You can talk about uh, Hail Caesar. All right. So speaking of big historical epics, um, <laughs> so Hail Caesar uh, takes place um, in the 1950s uh, in a – actually, you know what? I'm just going to read um, the description online because it would just be easier than, for, than, than me trying to explain it. Um, in the early 1950s, Eddie Mannix is busy at work trying to solve all the problems of the actors and filmmakers at Capitol Pictures. His latest assignments involve a disgruntled uh, director, a singing cowboy, a beautiful swimmer, and a handsome dancer. As if all this wasn't enough, Mannix faces his biggest challenge when Baird Whitlock gets kidnapped while in costume for the swords and sandals epic Hail Caesar. If the studio doesn't pay $100,000, it's the end of the line for the movie star. So, um, this is a Coen Brothers movie, uh, and this is kind of one of those weird Coen Brothers movies. This is not like, um, uh, what, what, what are the recent Coen Brothers movies that everyone seems to like? Um, this no, is not no, like No Country for no, Old Men yeah, or... Uh, no, no Country for Old Men, uh, True Grant... Yeah, it's not True. like True Grit or, or or No Country for Old Men or this is a lot weirder. This uh, is this is this is wacky Corn Brothers, which is what I'm a huge fan. Yeah, of. I love that. It's it's I, really I, I, it, it's it's really <laughs> wacky. This is Fargo, uh, Burn After Reading, you know. Oh, Burn After of... Reading, bro. I love, <laughs> I love that, that one. I love That's that awesome. Movie, man. So, so it's it's interesting because if you go to Rotten Tomatoes and uh, you look at the audience score for this, it's really low compared to the critic score. The critic score is eighty four percent. The audience score is forty six percent. So audiences hated this movie. I'm actually in the minority here, and I think this movie was awesome. Like I really love this movie, and it's one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies in the, like the last ten years. I'm not even joking when I say that. Um, it's it's all about the thing is you have to what it's kind of poorly marketed because it kind of makes you think it's going to be like this uh, kind of Ocean's Eleven type of caper uh, on a Hollywood set, but it's not. It's not that at all. It's actually more of like a um, uh, a metaphor for Catholicism and heaven and hell and trying to save your soul. And and mixed into all of that is kind of like some movie nerd, like movie history nerd stuff, like the uh, you know the communists that were uh, 
the communist writers that were, you know, getting blacklisted and, and, and they were the, and, uh, and, you know, who was a communist, who wasn't a communist and things like that. So it's not exactly what you expect. Oh, and also George Clooney is not, is not in the movie that much. Like he's, he's in a, he's in like maybe 25% of the scenes. It's mostly Josh Brolin. It's Josh Brolin, like walking around this, this film set, uh, this film, these, these film studios trying to figure out what he's going to do about his missing movie star uh, and then kind of talk like running into different wacky characters and trying to figure out what to do. Uh, there's like there's a um, it has a great cast. Uh, Josh Brolin is awesome as Eddie Mannix. So that Eddie Mannix was actually a real person. Uh, and uh, He was a fixer for for MGM Studios, uh, which basically meant that if there was some sort of problem or scandal involved he would go and fix it so it wouldn't get in the papers. And that's kind of what he's doing here. Um, well, he was also the Mr. Fuji of, of, uh, exactly. of, of the movie yeah. business. Yeah. Uh, George Clooney is Baird Whitlock. He's a kidnapped movie star. He He's kind of playing um, goofy George Clooney, which I like. I, loved, I love goofy George Clooney, bro. A, a little, a little, <laughs> a little close. He's not quite as dumb as he was in No Brother Where Art Thou, <laughs> but he's closer. He's closer to that than he is like Danny Ocean, right? He's not playing. He's playing the movie star, but he's playing the stupid movie star, right? Yeah, um, I, I, lo- I love wacky George Clooney because when we get his befuddled look, always works for me, bro. <laughs> oh no, yeah. he's, he's hilarious. He's really. Funny. <laughs> uh, who else is in this? Uh, Channing Tatum is in this in, in a small role. Scarlett Johansson and mm-hmm. um, uh, is pretty good in here. But for, but the oh, and I have to get his name because I forget it. But the the real like. Kind of breakout star of the movie is I'm gonna find his name. I don't know how to say it, but his name is Alden Ehrenreich. I think is how you say it. He plays the singing cowboy, and every scene he's in, he absolutely steals. He absolutely is the he's he's absolutely scene stealer in the movie. And I actually think he's one of the guys that's in line to play the young Han Solo in the Star Wars, in the new Star Wars uh, spinoff movie. Um, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that he's a good choice or not, but in this movie he was he was amazing. Um, I, I would really when you, either one of you guys see this movie, I really want to hear your take on it because it is kind of a weird movie and it's not what it's not what's advertised at all in the in in the trailers, but it's really kind of out there and wacky, and I, and I think that's kind of why I love it. Well, other than True Grit and probably No Country for Old Men, I don't think any of their films are promoted as being what they turn out to be. You know, which is um, the, I've always felt like like um, the Coen brothers are like kind of like Wes Anderson. They really don't make movies for a general audience. But once in a while, the studios kind of get behind them and try to give them a little push. But uh, you have to go into their movies knowing who they are and what they do. And and you're going to get a better enjoyment out of their movies. So so um, knowing that, I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it because, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Coen brothers. Yeah, you know, I think the re- thing, I think the reason Coen Brothers keep getting to make movies is because like every third movie of theirs gets like, a bunch of Oscar nominations. So I think that's why, <laughs> I think that's why they get, but, but like the other, the rest of them in between, kind of like don't do anything. Like Inside Lewin Davis didn't do anything, but actually yeah. I like that I like that movie a lot. The one, but, uh, I, I don't, the only one that I don't, there's two I don't like from them is Barton Fink. I saw it and I, I didn't really like it and. Um, True Grit, I don't, I don't get all the love for it. I don't really like it that much. But I actually, uh, I actually really enjoyed True, I Grit. True Grit. I've never yeah. actually seen Barton Fink, but it's interesting because a lot of people, Barton Fink is like what, what a lot of people love. 
like that's one of their top five for a lot of people. Like I love their first movie, Blood Simple, only because it introduced us to that whole like. Well, it didn't introduce us. They 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 kind of popularized with a lot of independent filmmakers of their time that wacky storyline where like one calamity leads to another calamity to another calamity, and this one big calamity the entire picture. And and there's no like there's no redeeming value in those characters. They're all trying to con each other. And then at the end they're all dead, and and that and that and that, that uh, storyline motif has always worked with me. I like that, and uh, which is that which is actually kind of like later on we're gonna get to triple nine. It kind of it kind of threads the line, kind of being like that, but uh, it's not as nowhere near as good, of course. So um, you know that's what I like about the Coen Brothers. All their movies always kind of follow. A lot of times they follow the despicable character, and you're seeing the movie through through the villain's eyes rather than the hero's eyes, and um, and, and you know. Shit happens in the third act that gets all wacky all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, now here's one for you guys. This is controversial right here. Another movie that I think is overrated is The Big Lebowski. I oh, never that got the, I never got the memo on that mm. one. Oh, I don't know if I can agree with you on that one. I love the it, I love The Big Lebowski. But it but to me it's like, I, I, I it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. But there, there's like conventions you know named after that, that movie. Yeah. That, I mean that, that that has grown to you know huge huge you know following. And, uh, you know, you watch the movie and, I mean, the, the, the Jeff Bridges character, I mean, he's a, you know, he's an icon, but, yeah. you know. Well, it, it, I, actually, say, let me just say this real quick. I almost, a couple of years ago, I actually found the uh, the Time Magazine Mirror on uh, on Amazon and I almost bought it. That's, <laughs> I can that's tell you all you need to know about how much I like that film. So, uh, hey, Mark. That's a wacky uh, mirror. The last time I saw you when I, when I was in New York, that same week I went to the... Um, uh, I went to the uh, Big Lebowski store, and uh, have you ever been there? No, I haven't. I, Do you know what? I've you know where? Mean, I forget. I don't there. forget where it is. I forget where it is because I don't know New York that well. But uh, I, you probably know where it is better than I do. But I, it's it's literally a whole store. Literally everything in the store is Big Lebowski, which I think that's to 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 Draven's point. I think that's a little too far to take the the love for that movie because I don't think it's that good. But I do love the movie. But I don't know. If, I don't know how you can have a whole store about it. Well, yeah. it exists. So it does exist. I did buy something there. It, it's uh, it's the story. It's the entire story of the Big Lebowski. It's a book, but it's the Big Lebowski written in Shakespeare form. <laughs> so like the uh, like the Star Wars books that I found in uh, in Tampa at the at the at the mall. They had like the Return of the Jedi, but like in Shakespeare. They had New Hope in Shakespeare. So that's a little, I guess, little niche product that's been coming out. I guess it's been popular the last few years or so. But yeah, that's awesome. But I would if you if you have time and you're in the area. I don't know. Again, I don't know where it is. I don't know New York that well. Uh, uh, you should just just take a take a trip just to say you've been there. Yeah, because I heard I, it's like around like where NYU is, which I, I know that area too, like where we're in Washington Square Park. So I should, I'll probably look it up. And by the way, I completely found it by accident. I didn't plan on it at all. I was like, what is this? And then I went in. I'm like, what the hell? Where am I? And then I found out it's kind of like this famous like cult store. Right, right. But they have, but I mean, the Coen Brothers do have, you know, a great filmography. I mean, there's no denying it. And I always watch their movies just because of who's behind it, you know. So, so they, I'm a huge fan of theirs. Oh, and because they, they have it down. Ed, oh, sorry to cut you off, but they, I oh, just read that they closed it down. In October. Oh, they closed it down. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I was look, this is what I was gonna say about that. Thinking logically, you would have to have a store that had enough appeal to, to make money out of it. Like that was that was what was throwing me off when you were telling the story right now. I was like, how the fuck could a store like that even exist? Well, it I doesn't just, anymore. But <laughs> well, no, I, I thought the same thing while I was in there. I was like, how does this exist? 
and, and by the way, when I went in, I was me and my wife were the only people in there. So like, I don't know how how this possible that that, that story existed, but it existed, uh, and it was. I mean, it was neat, but I mean, I'm never gonna like. I'm obviously never going to go there again because it closed down. But next time I was in New York, I wasn't going to go back. It was just neat to see one time. Um, <laughs> Listen to this. One of the comments on the article that Renee says, I hope he, when he's done, he burns the store down, then releases the ashes into the wind around Washington Square Park. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's, that, that's a kind of humor. I mean, the Big Lebowski is very humorous in that wacky humor like that. And, and that's why people are attracted to it. Yeah, um, but it, it's so so Hail Caesar is not like quite. Like the big because like the big Lebowski is like really kind of wacky. Hail Caesar's not quite that wacky, but it's it's not like the it's not funny like Big Lebowski's funny, but it's it's not quite serious like No Country for Old Men or something. So it's kind of like in between. It has some really goofy moments, but there's actual danger involved with some of the characters. Uh, and um, so the best scene in the movie, and I'm not going to ruin it, for, but I'll just say this. So the Alden uh, Ehrenreich character who plays the singing cowboy, uh, he gets cast in this kind of like period drama because they have because he's a big star and they have no one else to in, to put in that role. And he's and he's like basically this, you know, good old boy, not like John Wayne, but kind of like this good old boy, like cowboy that he's like a legit cowboy and he can't actually act. So when he's so they put him in a tuxedo and and put him into the scene to try and like act out these lines and Ray Fiennes who's the director uh, just keeps getting more and more frustrated trying to get him to say these lines without a stupid accent. That's the best scene in the movie. Um, but uh, I, I would suggest you. I, I don't think I think it bombed, so you might have to wait till DVD. But uh, <laughs> but um, it was it, it's actually I think really really entertaining. Uh, but I but if you don't like it, I wouldn't be surprised because. It, it's kind of one of those. I think it's going to be a divisive Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, like the Lady Killers. I didn't really like that one either. I never saw the Lady Killers actually. Let me Let's... see the uh, box office here. It's uh... so so. It's pretty much like an auteur movie giving a big push, which is which hardly ever works because people go in expecting something totally different, and it just it is weird. Yeah, the the trailers make it seem like. Uh make it seem like a lot more broad comedy than it actually is. Have you guys ever gone to a movie? Because I have, and it's embarrassing to me. Like, you guys ever gone to a big budget, like, not big budget, like, you know, mainstream studio-pushed a tour movie? And you know what it's going to be because you follow the filmmaker or you have an idea, but the audience right. totally doesn't understand it. So it, it, it gets awkward when they're expecting something to kick into, like, a third gear, and it never does. And you're, and I'll, I'll be sitting there like, I feel bad just being there because I know the audience is so disappointed. <laughs> you know? It happens Hon- to me. Honestly, it was, this mo- it was this movie. <laughs> This oh movie. okay, okay. Uh, and actually, to an, to another extent, um, to a smaller extent, it happened in The Witch, where I, I think people. Ah, uh, it happened to me too in The Witch. Exactly, The Witch. Yeah, people wanted that going with a different expectation. So the most violent year, I remember, I was uncomfortable sitting there, because um, uh, people expected like another Goodfellas, and that's not what they got. Um, uh, there's been a few, but it's always weird to just be there, and it's like, you know, as a, as a former filmmaker myself, like, I get it, right? I'm watching, I understand all this, but your average fan doesn't get it. They just want to be entertained, and they're bored, confused, angry by the third act, and it's like, you could just feel the tension in the room sometimes. Can I, can I tell you a funny story about this, though? Uh, the, when I went to see Hail Caesar, uh, it was like, maybe, 
it, it, it didn't last long in theaters. It's maybe the second or third week of release. And um, I was already kind of late for the showing. I, there was like two or three um, minutes before the before the official like the the start time, and I was stuck in line behind this woman. Has this ever happened to you guys? Were you stuck in line at the because not every movie theater has the the credit like the machine that you can do it yourself, right? So yeah. uh, I, so I had to actually stand in line to buy a ticket, and there's only one person working because it was like the Wednesday afternoon or something. So there's this woman in line that she didn't she went to the th- movie, but she didn't actually know what she was gonna watch. She stood there in line debating every single movie that she saw on the marquee <laughs> trying to figure out which one she was going to watch that happens, that happens like, more often than we would think it happens but it happens a lot it's like just do some research before you get there it's like it's it's like it, to a lesser extent it's like when you go to mcdonald's and people like spend like 30 minutes trying to figure out what they want it's mcdonald's it's the same thing every time <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah. but like so if you go into the movie like you're gonna spend you know, 15, 20 bucks, maybe you don't want to waste your money. So maybe do some research before you get to the theater. Like I'm not, I know that we're not all cinephiles, but Jesus Christ, go read some reviews or something. At the very least, you have the time you're in line to fucking make up your mind. The marquee's right in front of you most of the time with all the little wacky letterings going back and forth. You know what's there, you know, just, just make up your mind already. So, so basically she, uh, they, she was like, well, I want to see something funny. What's funny? Like, <laughs> oh my god, bro! Guy was like, "Well, there's this. This is a comedy, and uh, Deadpool's a comedy." You should point her out to the latest Kevin Hart movie, so it could be a dick. You should be like, "Oh, uh, <laughs> right, 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 right along to hysterical lady. Pay, watch that." So she was she, she was deciding between this and Deadpool, and I'm so, so, and, and like the she's like, "Well, which one's better?" And he's like, "I don't know. They're both really different movies. They're both funny, but they're different. One's violent. One's about you know." I, the, the guy didn't see Hell Caesar. He didn't know how to describe it, but he knew what Deadpool was. He's like, "Well, t- tell me about the." And oh my god, she would not shut up. So I don't, I, I think she ended up going to Deadpool. But oh, would, yeah. oh, I would have loved to see her watch that. One. But, but, oh, well, good. Hey, at the end of the day, good for her. <laughs> yeah, then, I, I agree. I, I was sitting there thinking, like, God, don't go to Hell Caesar because I don't want to have her like talking out because she, you know, she's going to be one of those people that talk to the whole movie, right? And what I is just, this? Why ain't it funny? What is going on? <laughs> so then, this isn't funny. So then huh. I, I was like, I was like, I still wanted to get my drink, so I went and got my drink, and then I went to go to the line to like give my ticket, and somehow she beat me there, right? <laughs> and she was talking to like the ticket taker lady. Like the like the the fifteen year old girl that could not care less about her job, and she's like, "Can you tell me more about this Deadpool? I just bought a ticket for." And she's like, "I I don't know. It's over there. Just see Theater Six. She's like, "But what's it about?" She's like, "I don't know. Theater Six, lady." And I was like, "Come on, just move." And she was like, "You know, I'm not gonna be mean, but she was a larger woman, so I couldn't actually get around her. I had to actually wait oh, for her to get through." <laughs> so that was my experience going into Hail Caesar. It has nothing to do with the movie, but I do this a funny story. It's almost it's like story. you start that, that, that's when you start looking around to see there's a hidden camera on you and you're like there's like a studio audience just laughing at you hysterically. Oh my god, but, because because if they caught if that was the, all the audience the, the the commentator, the Bob Saget or whoever hosted the <laughs> just would just be talking about how pissed off I look. <laughs> that's funny, bro. Because I don't have patience for shit. I don't. I don't. I'm not rude to people. Like, but I just don't. I clearly don't I'm have. Like, patience I'm like for that too. I don't have patience for stuff like that. You know, it's just. 
And the thing is that, you know, you, you've been a, a big movie fan, a cinephile. You, you're like me. You like to sit there and have some time to breathe and get ready for the movie. You know, I, I hate going when there's already the first trailers playing and you're trying to find a seat. And it's like, I don't like that feeling. I like to just be there for a while and just get ready, you know, even well, if I'm watching commercials or whatever. Well, I actually did that for a tank for Cloverfield because when we we expected to go to the uh, there was a eight o'clock and a nine o'clock we were gonna go to the nine o'clock but I saw that when we got to the theater we got there like really early just to be able to like, kind of like settle in and I saw that the IMAX one which is starting like at seven when we got there was I had just started like the trailers had just started it's like do you want to do the IMAX we'll just go right in because we had already eaten we weren't gonna get any concessions or anything I was like okay let's go IMAX. So we got to IMAX, we sat like in the front, because I love sitting like close for an IMAX showing, and we yeah. sat right in, and we just missed like one trailer, so we we were in and out for that one, but anyway. Lucky. Um, hey, do you guys, speaking of, do you guys have this thing now where, um, this, this has started like in the last month for like every theater here. Uh, at first it was just AMC, but now it's every theater, where like you're picking your own seats. Um, the one that I went to to see Deadpool, that has, it's not a dine-in theater, it's like, it's a regular AMC, but it's, uh, there, it's reserved seating, that has, like, it's the lounge chairs with the, with the leg rests and everything, which is awesome. Yeah, with the, with the little yeah, gimmick but buttons and everything. I, I, yep. I've had it, like, in, 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 I've had it in a dining theater, I've had it in a regular AMC theater, with and without the reclining chairs, and I was like, what is this, th-? like, half the time I'm like, just, I don't know, I'll pick it when I get in there, like, like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, they have that over here. They started over here a while back with the Arclight Theater, which is the one that has the big Cinerama Dome. They, they started doing that. And, um, you know, it, it, those theaters are made specifically, supposedly, they were made for, like, cinephiles because, A, you're not going to get kids, you know, and, right. B, you're, 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 gonna get, you're guaranteed your seat. Like, Because, like, actually, those theaters are over here anyways. They're a little pricier. They're about $2 extra to, to have that, that kind of luxury. And then what they do now, which is pretty cool, I don't know how cool it is for the people that are late, but now over here, if you don't show up on time, you don't get in anymore. Like, as soon as they start playing the trailers, they close the... That's how so it should be, to be honest. And, and so that's specifically tailor-made for the people that, that, that enjoy movies, you know, and, and, and you don't get that, that hassle of, like, going through people, you know, or, or dealing with kids or, you know, trying to find a seat because you already got your seat. Uh, so so it's that that's how they play it and and that movie theater just you're always gonna see upscale people because they're the ones that could afford to go there and actually make time to get there on time. Exactly. exactly. And you can't sneak in there either because somebody might they're, you're gonna get kicked out <laughs> anyway when somebody right takes away. your seat. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so so there, there there is a positive in the in these new little ideas. No, yeah. I don't I don't have a problem with it, but it's just kind of it's like it's just every time they it, like it. It, like it doesn't annoy me, but it kind of like throws me off because I'm still not used to it. I'm like, oh, um, I don't know, right here, I guess. Yeah, find the sweet spot, as they say, for the for the surround sound and all that shit. Because yeah. like to me, like I I don't. <laughs> so like when I go to like obviously if I go to like a big movie like like Batman and Superman, I'm not, I'm not gonna have a lot of choices. But to me, I just like to like. I don't like to sit by people. I like to have my own spot where, where nobody's around me. And I, and I get a better sense of that when I'm actually in the theater as opposed to looking at it on the screen. So, like, it always kind of throws me off to, like, have to pick ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. But they do have the little access already for the ones that are taken. So at least you know where you're going to be sitting. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so Hell anyway. Caesar is a thumbs up then. One thumb up, not two it, thumbs up. One. It, 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 for me, it is. Uh, no, to, for me, I, I really love it. Like, it's actually one of my oh, okay. favorite movies. Uh, of the Coen brothers, but um, I just, but I also am like totally 
aware. I it's it's a movie I love, but I can't necessarily recommend because I know that like some people are just gonna hate it. Like mm. I know that for the for a fact that even cinephiles I know are gonna hate it. Like, but some are gonna love it. So I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's a it's gonna be a divisive movie. And it has and it ha- and it has the uh, the Corn Brothers staples, right? The John Saturos is he in it? <laughs> no, John Saturos not in it. It's pretty much oh. it's not a lot of. Uh, uh, for, it, well, Josh uh, Brolin's in it. That's one of their Josh guys. Josh Brolin now. and nah. Frances McDormand is in it too. She's got a really Frances. smart part, but she's got yeah. like a really smart part. Um, uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton been in any, any of them before? No, Bernard so. Reading. She was in. Oh yeah, yeah she's, she's there. She's one of them. Yeah. They're, they're and and she was. <laughs> she she plays pretty much like a head of hopper type character. And William, um, William H Macy wasn't in there, right? No, William no, H Macy. Was unfortunately, there. he was in a room though, <laughs> for like a cup of coffee. Yeah. 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 But, but uh, I mean, the, the Coen brothers have equity with me, so I'm, I'm gonna definitely gonna check this out. No, I'm definitely gonna check it. As a matter of fact, I think the studio copies are already out, so I might be hitting that one up soon. Definitely, as soon as I get mine, I'm I'm hitting it up. But uh, anyway, the next film we have here probably is not nowhere near as great as uh as Hail Caesar, but that's uh that's for a lot of different reasons. That's London Has Fallen, which I'll I'll take the lead on this. One. I know Draven, you've seen this as well. So yes. I'll get your thoughts in a little bit. But uh, I mean. It's the sequel to Olympus Has Fallen, which actually I have not seen. I, but I, I love that movie. I loved it. I actually haven't seen I, Olympus Has Fallen, but I hear it, it's it's very good, especially con- con- compared to White House Down, which came out the same year. It's like the exact yeah. same plot. But uh, anyway, so just you know to get everybody started. Um, at the be- it's and spoilers everybody, but I don't know. If, I mean, if you haven't seen it by now, I don't think you're gonna see it anyway. Um, <laughs> at the beginning of the film, there's actually a, there's a drone attack on a on a compound that's uh, where like this notorious like terrorist lives, and uh, it wipes out. It doesn't wipe him out, but it wipes out like his family members, like and, and civilians. So what ends up happening, I think maybe like two years later, is that uh, I think it was the prime minister of of of, of England uh, dies, and right. so of course all the world leaders now are coming to to London for the funeral. And then that's where uh, the terrorist kind of gets his vengeance, and he strikes London, and he starts killing all all the leaders that are there. And of course, he's going for you know our boy Aaron Eckhart, the president, because he was the one that was in charge of the drone strike. And but of course, it's going to be Gerard Butler who's going to save the day for everybody, just like in yes. part one. But yeah. uh, and that's pretty much all you need to know about it. But I really did not like this movie, bro. Like. Legit, I did not like it. It's cliched from start to finish. It's very jingo- cliched. It's very jingoistic, cliche. xenophobic. You know, you name it. <laughs> I just think London is in trouble, and of course, it's, it's America who, in in the at the end of the day, has to save everybody. It's it's essentially another rehash of Olympus Has Fallen, but it's it's a, the plot is worse from what I understand. I haven't seen all, Olympus, all, I all the world leaders are like walking stereotypes. You have the Italian one who's like a horn dog. You know, you have a there's a the other world leaders are just walking stereotypes throughout the entire movie before they get fucking killed. And not and, only that, bro, but like freaking even the actors were not even in. You could tell they were just phoning it in. They were just do, this is just a paycheck movie for them. Even Gerard bro, Butler, who freaking stole Arnold's lines, bro. Did you hear him say "Get to the chopper"? As soon as yeah. I heard that, I'm like, bro, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Like, like, come up with your own catchphrases, bro. But maybe maybe that was in the script. Maybe the director told him to say, I don't know. But as soon as I so heard he, I was like, that's an Arnold rehash. So here's a perfect example of when you get the right filmmaker behind a movie that shit, he's always going to raise it up to a good level. 
Olympus was has fallen was directed by Antoine Fuqua. Yeah. yeah, and that guy's awesome. He, yeah. he's, he's he hit it big now. He's like a mainstream guy now. But but back when Olympus has fallen, he had done you know he was doing all that New York uh, his New York movie, the Training Day. Yeah, yep. You know, very dark and gritty, almost like like you know cop movies. That was his thing for a while. And then he got the Olympus has fallen gig, and he raced up. He raced it up. I mean, that movie, the visuals are awesome. Um, the 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 thing about Olympus has fallen is that they, they actually established the characters before this shit happened, and there was a lot of thought put in into the terrorists taking over the White House. It was amazing what they did. I mean, the little details. You know, uh, the they, they had like a like a first wave of attack followed by the second wave. That badass scene with the airplane from the Koreans that would shoot bombs, and then like the bombs would turn into little bombs, and then they were, it was awesome, man. Um, there was the complete opposite here, though. I mean, you don't really get any that much background to terrorists and then when they attack it it's very the, the whole thing is just very sloppy the action sequences are very sloppy and in fact i laughed so hard if you remember there was that they did that motorcycle chase throughout london right after like the attack yeah. started and you could tell like like the civilians are just walking casually they're not even running away even though these three guys in motorcycles are shooting at this car they're just right. standing there or they're just walking casually like nothing is happening you could tell it's like stock footage and shit and, and then just, also the best part was that it's called London has fallen, but they ran out of money, so it was like more like the streets have fallen because like ninety percent of the movie is just random streets and like a backlog somewhere. And you don't bro, even get <laughs> you don't you don't get you don't get the sense of being in London at all, like exactly. at all. Exactly. Like, and how do you make smoke look so fake, bro? The smoke <laughs> that they had like coming out of all like all, out of London, like all like the buildings that like explode, like the cathedral yeah. and all that. How do you make smoke look fake? It just looks so computerized and just oh my god! I was like. Really, this must have been on a shoestring budget or something because how do how, how do you let this basically unfinished film with these CGI effects that aren't crisp? How do you release this in theaters, bro? It's like I think, the they, I think they ran out of money. Also, in part one, you had a great cast. You had Angela Bassett, Robert Forster, Melissa Leo. Right here, they tried they they try to pigeon them in into like a like a one minute cameo for each one of them, bro. And it makes no sense why they're even in the movie, but they fucking put them in there anyway. And, and um, you know, there, there, there's a part where we're supposed to, like, feel sad. Like, we're talking spoilers, right? Yeah. Okay, well, when, when the Angela Bassett character dies, all of a sudden, that's when the shit hit the fan. But you don't feel shit. I, I, I did not feel nothing. Because though. the entire movie's a fucking cartoon, you know? Yeah. There, there's no realism to it. There's, like, part one had a had a, a grindness to it. it. It was like, it was like, part one to me was like a drama that all of a sudden this like popcorn fucking movie got hit right in the middle of it for the invasion part and then it became a drama again and i like part one because gerald butler's character he was he was kind of like put into that predicament like it, it's kind of like the like die hard part one where where uh, john mcclain's just there in the, he's just in there. the, in the he's caught in the he, middle now he has to fight to get out, and he, he doesn't even want to do it, right? It, that's what part one of Olympus has fallen us as well. It was, just, and that's what that, that's what makes the Gerard Butler character so so awesome in the first one because he don't need, he doesn't really want to be there. He you know he he's even thinking about leaving or whatever, and then all of a sudden this the fucking attack happens just at the moment he had to fucking be there. Fucks up his entire day. The shit's on, all right? Right here, you know, it's almost like they were expecting attacks to happen, and he's like the storyline is so pigeonholed and into he's like John Cena here, basically. You exactly. Know, he's no now he's anybody. He knows that, and then they try to throw the I'm, I'm expecting a baby, so we could have sympathy for him, but it doesn't. <laughs> <Right>. work. <laughs> Come on, bro. Come on, like he ne he never sells shit. He never even sells that he might not be around to see his kid being born. He just he just figures this is the logic of the character, folks. 
he figured the character knows that he's in a hundred and twenty million dollar movie, so he is gonna see his kid. That's what he. That's, that's the impression. <laughs> like, 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 he, then, he, he never does he worry about not being there. He just fucking takes out half of London by himself. So he's basically John McClane and Die Hard four and five. There, and that's yeah, a great comparison. Much, yeah, Die Hard much. five and this no hard at all either. Like, like, and then and then like the like the fucking uh, one of the things that people remember about Olympus Has Fallen that makes it kind of a cult classic is the actual invasion part because of how 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 um uh, how smart it was. You know, the everything everything made sense. All right. Right here, you had guards dressed as terrorists. Like, why didn't they do any background checks on these guys? They're just dressed as terrorists, and they just start and they're allowed people. to patrol the, the the crowd in London. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> and I'm like, stupid fucking movie, bro. And and then the fucking main villain we're supposed to have sympathy from because he lost his kid or whatever in the attack, but he but he's, he's not a even terrorist, in, bro. Yeah, and he's not he's, he's not like even, a cold blooded killer. And he's not even really in the movie that much, and most of the time he's like tied up or whatever. He's in a room, you know. And and uh, yeah, this movie fucking sucks. And of man. course they're Middle Eastern because you know that's what terrorists are according to this movie. That it's just Middle I, Eastern people. But I was uh, waiting for Gerald Butler to throw a knife at somebody and they get him pulled on the wall or something, and he's like, "Stick around." I was waiting for that line, bro. And I never got you know, <laughs> well, stupid the, the, like that. The good thing that came out, the one good thing that came out of this was I was very happy to see Robert Forster get a payday. You know, yeah, but I, he, I love but that guy. But I think he got paid scale, bro, because you blink and he's gone. Literally. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, all these fucking guys, they brought him back for the next one, and they're literally there just to... Well, oh, there's this scene, bro, that's embarrassing, bro. What about that one scene where, where Morgan Freeman is talking to Gerald Butler, and they, you could tell they're not even in the same room. And they fucking... Is, they insult your intelligence by making... Like, the editing's all weird, because when they turn to Morgan Freeman's back of his head, it's another black man, dude. It's not him. <laughs> And then when they turn back to Morgan Freeman, you could tell that he's talking to, like, a screen or whatever. So they, they couldn't even fly this guy to London if it was shot in London, you know? Oh, I mean, I, it was just embarrassing. How was this a theatrical release? How was this not, like, a straight-to-video thing? You if know? it wasn't for the fact that I had seen Point Break, this would be the worst movie of the year for me. Because Point Break is ten times more embarrassing. Right than now, this is the worst for me, bro. And I am I'm, I'm skimming the reviews, like, after I, I watch it. And it's pretty much the consensus, you know, that we have. But I found one quote from uh, Christy Lemire, who, very funny, she goes like, it's Donald Trump in film form, which I found hilarious. <laughs> it's, pretty, <Yeah. laughs> it's pretty spot on. But anyway, yeah, this movie sucks. I, I wouldn't even waste my money. I'm definitely going to see Olympus, though, based on your recommendation, because I have wanted to see it for a while. That's a great movie. That's a great yeah, movie. But, you're uh, you're going to see the huge difference. What about how Aaron Eckhart's a badass, you know, like every fucking president? Like, to me, it's like if your president's a badass, why do you need the real badass for yeah. Did the fucking president take care of they it, take you know? it to, Exactly. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, this movie sucks. Don't waste your money. And what yeah. about the what about the pretent the pretentious poster, bro, with your buddy with a bulletproof vest, bro? <laughs> like, he, like, like he fucking needs it. He has a bulletproof press with the London flag all burnt, like all ripped apart in the background, and he's all tough in the poster. Come yeah, on. The, 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 the hero American saving, you know, London is just <laughs> uh, whatever, bro. Can, can I? Can I? I just want to know, like. Why we keep putting Gerard Butler in things? I mean, other than three hundred, and I guess Olympus is so, gone. So Has you're asking, so you're asking Adolfo, how is Gerard Butler still a thing? Yeah, how is he still a thing? <laughs> like, I, I, he's kind of. I've always kind of. I mean, I I like three hundred. I think I think it was kind of like a, a bit of a mess, but I thought it, it, overall I did enjoy that movie. But other than that, like, I don't think I've ever seen him do anything that I enjoyed. 
Like, I think everything he's done has been something I didn't like. Like, the first time I saw him was in that Phantom of the Opera movie, which pissed me off. I'm a, I'm a fan <laughs> of, like, the old school, like, you know, universal horror uh, 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 Phantom of the Opera, where he had a full face mask, right? And in, in, because he was, like, in, like, the old Lon Chaney one, when they took off his mask, he looked like a horrific demon, right? In his Phantom of the Opera, he's got his, – his mask covers, like, one eye. And then you could tell, like, the rest of him is, like, is still pretty handsome. So it's like, what are you covering up for, dude? Like, it, it, this is not horrific at all. Like, suck it up, be a man, and you know, go sing go sing something. I don't know. Like, that, that movie pissed me off. And Gerard Butler just pisses me off. Sorry, he, I just got an anti-Gerard Butler rant, but I, I, I can't stand that guy. Well, he's all for two this year, because Gods of Egypt bombed. Oh, bombed like a motherfucker, bro. <laughs> But I will say I will say that the that, that the first two acts of Law Abiding Citizen I I totally I was gonna enjoyed. say yeah I was gonna say three hundred and Law Abiding Citizen are my two like look, if I were to I, name two good films that he was in that would be those two. Like I thought Law Abiding Citizen was like one of those fucking original screenplays that got a big budget I was like all happy and then the third act came out like the same old shit man, but um. But that, he was okay in that but just okay yeah. and then Gamer sucked I remember I didn't like Gamer at oh, all. Oh Gamer was really bad. Uh, Rock and Roller was okay, but that was a Guy Ritchie film, so I'm gonna credit him because he he <laughs> when he's motiv- when Guy Ritchie is motivated, he's pretty damn good. But that's only when he's motivated. So so because uh, he has some bad movies himself. But uh, other than that, and then he went through that whole Matthew McConaughey rom com phase too for a while. He was there, he was stuck oh, in that Lord. purgatory for a little while too with like P.S. I Love You and um you know those kind of movies. So and playing playing for keeps. I remember playing for keeps too. What a <laughs> fuck. <laughs> You know, I saw like half of uh, uh, P.S. I Love You like uh, on TV. So like we were on <laughs> so last November I took a I, uh, we went on vacation to Mexico and one night. Um, Did you go to the John Cena restaurant? No, we did not go to John Cena. <laughs> uh, but we were we were in the resort, right? And then one night um, we were gonna go out and stuff, but like the it was like. We, there was like a torrential downpour, so my wife and I were kind of stuck in the hotel room, and we're just like flipping through all through Mexican TV, you know. So we were, so they had one, um, one American, you know, I, I I can speak Spanish, but my wife can't, so they had like one American channel it was HBO. So we're watching HBO, and P.S. I Love You was on, and we started watching it, and after like five minutes, we realized how bad the movie was, but it, it came, it got to the point where like we just kept watching it because we couldn't like imagine, like we couldn't believe how stupid the movie was so we just kept watching we watched like half of it do you guys know what the point what the premise of that movie is no remind us i, I, have, I haven't bad. seen it so i couldn't tell so you so gerard butler dies like in the beginning of the movie and he he's gets married, jobbed out <laughs> he's married, like hillary swank but then like after his death he somehow sent like sends notes to her he arranged to have notes sent to her to like you know, go on and live her life and stuff and manages to like have her hook up with like his friend from like whenever he's younger or something. It's really stupid. It's like the dumbest thing I've ever, one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. I never finished it, so I don't know how it ends, but it's, it's seriously one of the dumbest movies. Like, like even like, even for a chick flick, it's a bad movie. (laughs) Most of them are like, I'll give it credit for trying something different, but it was really bad. It was like embarrassingly bad. And that's and that's weird too because that was his follow up to 300. That was the next one that came out. Right. So uh, yeah, it was right right after 300. That was well, I so I guess you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I guess they wanted to put the rocket up his ass and it didn't work. No, 
and the and this doesn't help either. I mean, I'm sure Olympus was good, but like this, uh, ugh, fuck this. Movie, yeah, bro. yeah. Well, I, if if I would have if I had to pick one movie, I would go with Olympus Has Fallen. But I I, I credit that to Antoine Fuqua, not Gerald Butler. Wow, however you say his name. Yeah, I still don't know how to say it. I'm saying Fuqua or whatever. Anyway, whatever. Like whatever. Jim Ross says, whatever. Whatever. Einstein. <laughs> Einstein. Uh, whatever. Anyway, well, uh, the, the next film on our docket here is one that I haven't seen, but I know you and uh, and Adolfo have seen it, and that's that's The Witch. So I'm going to give you the floor on that one. You can talk about The Witch. Just give us a lowdown on what it's about and your thoughts. Okay. Well, you want me to take it? Yeah, sure. Okay, so The Witch is essentially about a family that uh, it, it takes place back in the, uh, I believe it was the 1600s, I want to say. Um, and th- this family uh, gets kicked out of their village because uh, they do something against the Catholic Church. Uh, so um, in, in defiance, the, the father takes his whole family out to the woods where they start over. They have a farm or whatever. And it's really there where the storyline picks up because um, they, it turns out that there's the witch in, 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 inside of the woods. And the witch starts fucking with, with, the, with the family and from there, you know, it, it, it drives the plot forward. Now, that's all I'll say about that, because I have my own view on this movie um, that, that I, why it works for me and I, well, the reason why I like this movie. But I, I wanted to see uh, what Adolfo thought about it first. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I think that um, a lot of, you know, people that – I'm not going to say what people who didn't like it are wrong, but I think a lot of people that did not like the film – we're expecting something different because the marketing, and again, this goes back to marketing. The marketing behind the film treated it like it was going to be like this next level, like jump scare, jump scare, you know, oh, yeah. kind of move, kind of horror movie. And it is a horror movie, but it's not that kind of horror movie. It's uh, not. It's, it's actually when you, when I get to why, why it works for me, it's actually scarier because it's real life shit where that I'm gonna get to as far as where the movie works for me and what I think the filmmaker was trying to say. Yeah, I th- I think the um uh there so I don't think there's one jump scare in the whole movie, is there? I don't think there is. No. Oh, no. well, 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 actually, maybe towards the end when you see what happens to the father, that kind of comes out of nowhere. But that's that's really it, and, and not, nothing really like there's no jump scares at all. It's more of a feel. It's the movie's more about dread and like creepy. And it, it, it's it, the dread is perfect. Like this filmmaker yeah. hit all, and this is his first movie too. Now yeah. here, here, here's the, the thing where I come from. Like one of the things that that bothers me about about like like James, I'm gonna say James Wan because he's the one that blew up. He's the one that's mainstream. Is that he's introduced the general audience to a certain type of horror film, and and, and that has by definition become the Hollywood style of horror film, which is the the the, the jump scares. You know, and the reason why they're called jump scares is because their job is to make you jump. But but a lot of times these jump scares are not earned. See, a good horror movie, when they give you a jump scare, it's because it has earned the right to do that. So, you know, and James Wan, to his credit, his movies do, they, they, he does do a, a very good job of pacing them out. I'm talking about his the clones of his movies. Yeah, that, I, I, I would know. agree that, I, I would say that he, he earns his jump scares. But yeah, I yeah, think, but, 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 but his I think clones, his though. copycats do not. Yes, exactly, because they don't understand how you build up a jump scare. They just throw a cat out there for no reason, and all of a sudden you, just, you jump or whatever. But uh, so so there's other forms of you know telling a horror story, and you know Hollywood hasn't really adapted to that yet because they're like they have a formula and it works for them. And this this, this movie totally 
goes against that. You know, this movie, again, is presenting the, the filmmaker wanted to give you a sense of isolation, a sense of dread, uh, a, a, a little bit of sadness in the whole thing. Because this movie, to me, it's more of a drama with a little bit with sparkles of horror, you know, sprinkled throughout the movie. Um, it's really about the family being a dysfunctional family and, and, and eliminating their trust, you know. And there's also and there's also uh, some religious overtones about it. Uh, I think the filmmaker is a little bit anti-Catholic, if you ask me, a little bit, you know, because there was a lot of that. Now he it, it, it is prefixed. I actually as, I actually disagree with you. I think he's a lot anti. I think he's a lot anti-Christianity, but that's just how I read it. But 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 I feel like I feel like. Um, well, more Catholicism than Christianity, because Catholic, because you know, there's a lot of there's the big mythology around it. But the thing to me is that uh, at the end of the day, the film's message is that if you don't have the faith, you're gonna crumble. And and to me, that's why I give him the benefit of the doubt that maybe there's a certain belief that he has, because to me, and this is a little bit of a spoiler for Mark who hasn't seen it, but it's not really a spoiler. Like at the end of the day, the witch is like you know. It's so minimal to the plot, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. it, it, the, the family essentially crumbles upon itself. Um, now, it hit it hit a strong point with me because you know I you know I've studied psychology, I have a degree in it, I've I've, I've done work in the field, and one of the things that you're gonna notice is that when when somebody claims I see the devil, I see a poltergeist, and this and that, what we do is we take an assessment of the family history, and you're gonna find a lot of abuse, a lot of alcoholism. It, it's a pattern that's been going on. For years with people that claim to see certain things and at the end of the day i think people would rather they're, they're they're living such real horror in their lives whether it's abuse or whatever that they would rather deal with this entity and and, and get them their mind out of the real horror and deal with that and that's why you see that pattern of you know whatever so that's what i got out of this film like and i'm not saying it didn't happen because the third act tells us that there was something really something going on it wasn't all in nobody's head or nothing like that but uh, the, 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 the subtext of the movie was there to tell us that this is a story about a family that's, that, that, that's in chaos, you know? And, and I love in the middle of the act how you start seeing the, 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 the cards crumble, you know? The, uh, I love how they start pointing fingers at each other of who the witch is, you know? Like, like the, the daughter says it's the two kids, the two kids are saying it's the daughter. And, and you see this whole manipulation by the actual witch the whole time. So there, there's a game being played here and you know who wins or loses depends on the third act which i'm not going to talk about but you know it, it's it's i totally loved it man i thought it, i thought the way the movie came off was really really good uh, i i i really loved the film um and i i agree with uh most of your points there um and i i think that um i think the other thing that is, is, is in addition to being anti-catholic i think it's also like a a parallel to like the the Salem witch trials is like where yeah yeah where where there's a lot of um pointing fingers you know uh with or without evidence you know just based on pure fear and speculation um the other thing i i will say about the movie is that because people because again it was marketed as like the scary horror movie like uh again it's not scary there's not a lot of jump scares but there's a lot of dread throughout the film and i think the the like the only film I could kind of relate it to, um, not because it deals with the exact same thing, but be because of the tone, is something like Rosemary's Baby. If you watch Rosemary's Baby, that's a horror movie, but there's no jump scares in it. It's all about dread about what's happening to this woman. A lot, so, lot, of, like, lot, of, lot of 70 horror films are like that, which is yeah, which just, which just basically a huge homage to. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, well, except for The Exorcist, which is pretty, which is more of a classical kind of horror movie, with with more like uh, even then, there's not that many jump scares. It's it, it, it's more of a slow build with that one. Yeah. Um, it's it's a slow build that that in the third act of The Exorcist, everything goes to shit. Um, but uh, with Rosemary's Baby, like you know, it's it's a it's just a slow dread throughout the entire movie until like the last five minutes when everything's revealed to you. It's almost the same kind of thing here, where like you're not scared, but you're filled with just dread the whole time. But it's also a slow build towards like as you're seeing the movie, you're seeing every single character break, and that and that's yeah. what makes it so scary. Like like and, and you see the choices that they have not to break, but it's because of the fear and because of the uh, like you said the beliefs they have that they eventually do break, and and that's what makes this film so amazing because it, you know the, the the filmmaker gives you all the choices that they had whether you know, to join together as a family and work this through. Uh, you have a lot of passive aggressive because the mother is still very, very upset that the, that the father was defiant to the little town and she's holding that shit with her. And at the end, she lets them have it. You know what I'm saying? About why they came here. Everything was good over there and this, that, or the other thing. So, so I love that, that, that the actual evil in, in the film is actually working, not, not even attacking them. You know, that happens later, but just allowing themselves to break, and and that and that's what I love about this film. Yeah, I, I completely. Agree. One of the now one of the things that didn't help, even for me, is that they talked like they talked back in the day, and I didn't like that, man. I thought, man, come on. I mean, I understand what they were trying to do, but I need to if they're gonna go that route, throw some freaking subtitles up there in the screen, because uh, yeah, well, it was a little that was a little hard to deal with, and that's a that's a good that's a good warning. It's not it's not like straight. It's it is kind of like thee and thou kind of talking, and yeah. that can get a little hey, old. <laughs> but and props um, to the actors for pulling it off, though, because the actors pulling it off. The, the 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 man that played the father, he was amazing in this movie. Like he really hit it all the part. Uh, the kid at the end, like any kid in any food movie, he was beginning to annoy me, but he won me over. With I mean I know you're gonna know what I'm talking about with with his performance in the middle of the movie. I thought I thought he really picked it up there, but. He was getting a little annoying. The two little kids, I guess they were semi, uh, kind of to kind of align the film a little bit in the beginning because I I really got a chuckle out of some of their dialogue. You know, just their interaction with the older brother and sister, I thought was funny, and they did a really good job of of, of playing the pesky uh, little sister and little brother. You know, I thought that was good. So I think that the filmmaker did a great job in what he had to do, direct the actors to give the best performers they could. And, and, and you know, I, the, I can't get over the, the, the father. I mean, I know he's, I, I've never, this is the first time I've seen him in anything. And, and next time I see him pop up in any other movie, I'm going to watch it because of him, because he did a great job. Yeah, I think uh, he did, his name is um, Ralph Innocent, I think his name is. I look. I, I just looked it up. Uh, and I, I actually also like the, the lead actress uh, who played Thomasine. Thomason, I don't know how you say it. Um, uh, she, I think she also did a really good job too. Yeah, definitely. Because that was, it was kind of her movie in a lot of ways, you know. So yeah. she carried her pretty good. Yeah, and um, definitely recommend it for anybody. But it's like, like, like you said, it's, it's not your typical horror movie. But if you go into it just wanting to see a good story and and just build from beginning to end, give it a watch. And it's a good movie. It's, not a movie that you want to have people over. It's not one of those kind of horror movies. It's just a movie you want to watch by yourself or with your partner or whatever, and just just watch it and pay attention and see what happens. Because it's, it's it, it. You know what's funny? It's like it, it is actually a fun movie, but but it's not like like 
like you know just thinking about it now like it, it moves pretty damn good it's like I, I was never bored by it but i i could see why people could be have expecting something that never happened but it was it's also like a really short film so like an hour and a half so i don't know how you could get bored it was really short yeah yeah so and then and then the third act was amazing you, you just see like it just builds perfectly to that. It builds perfectly to that. Like, like it just. Uh, I was very satisfied with the ending. Yeah, everything that happens after you find out what happens to the sun, everything after that point, like, is amazing to me. It's really yeah. well done. Right, right. So, um, definitely, um, thumbs up for me. I oh, love good. this. Good. De- and a rental, I guess, right? Because I guess it's out of theaters now. Yeah, well, definitely a rental now. Yeah, because because but this movie is different from Hell Caesar because this movie didn't get that big of a push. Hell Caesar is different because that one got like a big push. So I could see more people being disappointed with that. It, than did, with it, it didn't get the big studio push, but it got the like indie push. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I see what you're saying. Yeah, when I was in the theater watching it, it was one of those moments I brought up earlier. Like, you know, I knew I was into it, but I could I could feel the tension from the people. Like, <laughs> yeah, when, when, I was, when yeah, is it gonna kick into the next gear? You know, I, I was totally sitting there with people who were who were who were expecting the Conjuring out of this movie, and they didn't get it, and they were not happy. I hear you. And I and I'll just say two words: Black Philip. When you see Black Philip, oh, Black Philip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's creepy right there. Especially Black what Philip happens to you. Shit. Yep. Uh, speaking of black, uh, we can move on to our next film, and that's uh, that's Triple Nine, which I know I've seen, and I know Draven, you've seen this as well, so we can talk about this. Yes. But uh, for this uh, for this recap, I'm just going to read the uh, Rotten Tomatoes summary, and then I can go on with my thoughts. So about, that, about this film, a crew of dirty cops is blackmailed by the Russian mob to execute a virtually impossible heist, and the only way to pull it off is to manufacture a 999 police code which is, stands for Officer Down. Their plan is turned upside down when the unsuspecting rookie they set up to die foils the attack, triggering a breakneck action-packed finale tangled with double crosses, greed, and revenge. So that's Okay, now, that's now, now, now let me stop you right there. Now, you read that synopsis because I read it before I saw this movie, and I marked out because that's right on my alley. I love all that. That's kind of Coen Brothers shit right there when you think about it, uh, especially early Coen Brothers. And so and, and, and how, a lot of uh, some uh, Antoine Fuqua too, like with the cop drama. Uh huh. Antoine Fuqua, some yeah. uh, a, a little bit of of, of um, uh, Narc, which I love the movie Narc, by the way. Oh, I love the movie and, Narc. It's an underrated yes. movie. Right, and, and so you know those, those classic, you know, bad cop has no good cop has to do something bad, and he's kind of corrupt, and I, I love that whole thing. Now, how the fuck do they fuck it up so bad, Mark? Is what I'm gonna ask. Oh you. my god, I was just about to say, <laughs> it, 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 here's the thing. I, in the end, I do like the film. Like it, it, it's a, it's a good film, but it's forgettable. And here's the reason why. Because what's Tyler. sad about this is that it there's a great cast here. You have Chiwetel Ejiofor. Like you have. I, wait a minute. I feel like wh- the, whoever hire these people like they they knew dirty secrets of all these people's agents how, <laughs> how the fuck did, run, run through the cast how the, this is like avengers level casting here man like this is like all like headline actors and they were all there and some of them were really embarrassing which we're gonna get to which is weird but uh i don't know tell, tell us some of the cast here because it's an amazing all right, well, you, well you have casey affleck you have chiwetel ejiofor you have anthony mackie you yeah. have kate winslet you have yes. Woody Harrelson, you have yes. Aaron Paul, Norman yes. Reedus, Gal right. Gadot, a.k.a. Wonder Woman now, and yes. Michael K. Williams, who might, p- people might know from Boardwalk Empire. He played Charlie and, White. And The Wire, brother. Get a, get Omar. Yes. Oh, Omar. Omar. Yeah, Omar. It has Teresa Palmer, who kind of had a career, then fizzled out. Um, and, and, uh, and, and our boy, 
one of the best B movie actors of our time, Clifton, Clifton Collins, Collins Jr. Yes, there Love you that. go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so this was a uh, Boondock Saints Part Two reunion with Norman Reedus and Clifton Collins Jr. because they were both in that film. But bro, uh, how how did okay spoilers, people? How did Norman Reedus get job down like the first ten minutes? That kind of pissed me off, bro. <laughs> he was he was there perp- he was there just to get jobbed out. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, he, somebody owed somebody a favor, and they were like, "Fuck it." So, so for those for those people who are in that, if Daryl dies, we riot crowd. First of all, number one, you're gonna start rioting in a couple weeks, I predict. Oh, that's two, your theory, right? That's your theory. <laughs> and number two, that don't see this movie then if you're if you're part of that crowd. But and it's essentially it's, this is like Mickey Rourke when he had the highlights in in fucking uh, Iron Man two, brother. Norman Reedus did not change one lick from 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 Daryl Dixon. Dixon, right? He, he, he literally went from one set to the other in a bus, I think, and just hey, got and, bro. The... And Kate Winslet's Russian accent is the same accent she had in freaking Steve Jobs when it was supposed to be Polish. Yeah, yeah, dude, she was embarrassing. Like I was, I was saying, like, what happened here? Like she was the Russian uh, matriarch, I guess. Yeah, yeah, matriarch. And, and she was the only thing good about her was that her titties were. You know, they were popped out of her dress. She's one of those push-up bras, like she needs it, but she right. had it. And so, uh, yeah, but she was embarrassingly bad. Like she, you know, um, Woody Harrelson just—he's a ball of charisma, no matter what. Yeah, he yeah does. the crazy Woody Harrelson, bro. It was like, bro, you have you have good guy Casey Affleck surrounded by all these bad guys and crazy Woody Harrelson. So that's like a, that's a recipe for disaster. But anyway, but yeah, I mean, Woody Harrelson is Woody Harrelson. Just he, that guy, just like you said, is a fountain of charisma, and and he he's no different here. I think at one time there was a good story here, but I think it got muddled up. It, it got he, lost in the shuffle, bro. Because the opening high scene is great, I the love last it. half hour is great, but then the middle just kind of it, it, it gets it, 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 it drags and bad. drags, yeah, yeah, and and it just gets deflated some sometimes during the middle section. Then it gets wacky because there's about ten different storylines going on at one time, bro. Right. Like so, so the okay, this is just the storyline. I'm not gonna tell people what happened because Adolfo hasn't seen it, but. So, okay, I'm going to try to make sense of it out of the top of my head here. All right. The the Russians have a guy in prison they want to get out. Right. They blackmail the black dude, Chantal Edgino for whatever, <laughs> whatever his fucking name was. Okay. Brother, we'll, go with that. we'll go with that. We'll go brother, with I'm that. Latino. That's my way out of this one. <laughs> um, I, you know, so, so they blackmail him into getting a, box, a, a fucking envelope, one envelope, that's in this high security fucking high tech building, like a, like a bank, it's a security deposit box. Yeah, yeah, but somehow this black dude, and I can't just really call him black dude because there's like three of them, so I should call him something else. Uh, she would tell somehow this she would tell character, he had a kid with Galbert Gott's character, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who's, who's the sister of Kate Winslet's character? Who's and like she's, the play, she's, play, she's playing a Russian, even though she doesn't even try to talk Russian. No, uh, exactly. like she just, she's just talking like whatever, and she doesn't even fucking look Russian at all. Uh, not not saying that people should look Russian, but she doesn't look Russian. Uh, and and so okay, so somehow she this guy had a kid with her. The sister of Kate Winslet is blackmailing him with the kid, and right. somehow somehow. Uh, gal is okay with it. I don't know how. She actually vanishes in the third act. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. So he makes his partners, which are the the, the, the majority of the cast, which is uh, uh, Anthony Mackie, Aaron Paul, and Clifton Collins Jr., and Norman Reedus, 
to help him. Why they agree, I don't know, because they only have information about him. That's like a plot point they never really explained. They don't have information about the other four. Oh, what it is that they're holding their money, the money they did in the first heist. That's what it is. They're yeah, the, in the, the beginning, money. there was a heist that they pulled off, but now Kate Winslet is withholding that money until she does this second job, which is supposed to be built up throughout the rest of the film. You know what? I got to talk about spoilers because this movie is pissing me off, bro. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm not going to watch the movie. So okay, yeah. so this is fucking stupid. So the Russians don't even, they try to talk to this Chantelli character. <laughs> and he kind of agrees, right? But they still have to make an example out of one of the guys in the crew. So there's this scene where, like, Norman Reedus is going to a car. And right yeah. out of, like, a bad 80s horror movie, uh, the Russian baddie who never says a line, but he was supposed to take serious. He, the hitman. He, he gets he, he he puts a bag over Norman Reedus's head like Terry Funk did to Rick Flair in that you know Moscow <laughs> Airport match at Clash uh, of the Champions in '89, and so that's the last we see of Norman Reedus for now, right? All right, so fine. Norman Reedus was a pussy, bro. He couldn't fight this guy. He just took it. Yeah. So then all of a sudden they jobbed him out, bro. They made him look like a punk. Worse than so the Ambrose. Of, this is fucking stupid, bro. So all of a sudden. Uh, the crews, they're waiting for their next job in the alley, right? And they're like, oh, where's Norman Reedus at? Where's Norman Reedus? All of a sudden, they see a car that drives it right into a wall, and that's his car. <laughs> his car. They, they, they go over to the car, they open the door, and there's Norman... Now, this is where it gets fucking stupid. There's Norman Reedus beat up. He's just... He's alive, but he's beat up. He, this, but he could get medical attention, all right? But no... The leader of the crew, who happens to be this Chantel guy, decides to just shoot him in the head. Why he does that, I'll never know. <laughs> and to top it off, his brother Aaron Paul's right next to him, and he doesn't sell it one bit, bro. He's there, he's there in the wall just smoking a cigarette and just says, I guess he's just like, it had to be done. He doesn't sell it to later on. But it's just that that was like bad storytelling. Like and, what's, and what's weird about that scene is that this is what's supposed to traumatize Aaron Paul's character. That's his brother that that freaking he shoots in the head. And then like throughout the rest of the film, he's supposed to get getting worse and worse as far as like traumatized about that death. But, but because he no sells it at the beginning, we can't we don't buy it. Exactly, you, know? you hit it right on the head. He's literally on the wall, like yeah. Good. He, all he had to say was "good shot, bro." That would have made it worse, you know. <laughs> No, and, and then, like, I like how, like, they, they, they want to build tension, bro, where, where he, he's going to shoot his buddy, who's just hurt. He could go to a hospital. He, he's going to shoot him, right? And he doesn't know where to shoot him, so he's going to shoot him in the stomach. And then he and then he feels, quote-unquote, compassion, and he just shoots him in the head, dude. <laughs> oh, so, Lord. So you would think, okay, now, this, this is, you would think, wow, this crew just, they lost a brother. Now they're going to get back for revenge and go kill the Russian mob. No, they just no. say, okay, we'll do the job. We'll do the we'll, job. Yeah, because yeah. we'll we're pussies. We'll, we'll go ahead and do the job. And then it gets fucking more complicated. So the middle portion of the movie is uh, Shen Tuo Edgy, whatever. He goes... He starts, <laughs> you said it different every single time, bro. This was popping no, right no, now. <laughs> no, no. Then, then we get to meet Casey Affleck, bro. I forgot. <laughs> so Casey the Affleck's Affleck, brother. So Casey Affleck is this quote-unquote rookie cop, you know, the crazy guy, the, the rogue guy. He, he he just got transferred to a new division. Yeah. And so, and somehow he's related to Woody Harrison's uh, 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 character, who's the one that's investigating the band of thieves, okay? Now, just so it could get more confusing, Anthony Mackie is one of the band of thieves, and they just coincidentally put him as the partner of Casey Affleck, right? All right? 
So now they don't the, the the crew's like, how do we get this fucking envelope from this building? And then Clifton Collins, who plays, I guess he's supposed to be the psycho of the group, although we don't get that to the very end. Yeah. He's like he well, very straight until like the last like ten minutes or so. <laughs> so Casey Affleck, who's I mean Clifton Collins Jr., who's rocking like a 1970s fucking sideburn and long hair look. <laughs> uh, he, he 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 he's like, well, there's a way we could do it. If a cop dies. This doesn't make sense, bro. If a cop gets shot, all the precincts are going to be trying to get the... They're going to be busy looking for the guy that shot the cop, and it's going to leave us an opening for to get into the building. Forget right. about the fact that that's not even logical, right? Let's forget about that. But that's what we're supposed to go with. All right, so so that's, that, that drives the plot forward. Now the thing is, they have to earn Casey Affleck's trust. So they could get him into the group, and then eventually they're gonna put him. They're gonna have a situation where one of them kills them. All right, and so they then in the middle it gets boring because now you're doing the buddy cop thing. Anthony Mackie volunteers to pull the trigger. He's like, "I'll do it, fuck it." Yeah. And then they so happen that they they, they 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 now the dramatic part. They they start becoming buddies. Casey Affleck and Anthony Mackie. Th- there's about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. This is where the movie kind of dies. It's just them building their friendship. So at the end, he doesn't have the balls to actually kill him. So so we go to this ring role where Casey Affleck saves Anthony Mackie's life. And then all of a sudden, I knew that was going to happen too. Yeah. Boy. I, was, I was like, oh, he's going to save him and now he won't have the heart to kill him. All right, I get it. And it happened. And this whole time, Woody Harrelson is trying to track down. He's on the case. He's trying to find these guys. So he ends up going to a, a Omar White, who's dressed as a woman, by the way, for God knows what reason. <laughs> uh, so Michael K. Williams is in drag for about five minutes in the movie, or less it's than hilarious, that. Hilarious, by the way. And, <laughs> and then he's like, I'll give you what you want to know, Papa, or whatever. You know, typical, stereotypical shit. And so uh, Woody Harrelson starts getting closer and closer to the case and closer and closer to the guys. I don't even know how he connects the dots, but I guess at this point we're not just—he just does. I don't know how he does it. Um, and so that's it. It, it. it it leads to the the all the bullshit at the end, the trust, distrust. So what happens is that um, uh, Anthony Mackie and and uh, and Casey Affleck—they they, okay, they're gonna do it, right? So they go into this abandoned warehouse where Anthony Mackie's gonna shoot. Uh, uh, Casey Affleck, and then they could call the, the triple nine and yeah. quote unquote all, all the, the cops, all cops in Atlanta, or wherever this takes place. <laughs> yeah. And then that's gonna give them the opening for them to go to this building. What a fucking. So, <laughs> what happens is that um, Anthony Mackie hired this thug who had a run in with Casey Affleck earlier in the movie to actually do the deed. But Aaron Paul feels guilty about this because they killed his brother, yet he didn't do nothing then. Now he, he's remorseful. Yeah, and Aaron, he's trying to make up for it now. And he's trying to warn Casey Affleck, and then he ruins everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron Paul goes to warn Casey Affleck. They never explain how he finds them in this abandoned warehouse. Because I don't even think Aaron Paul was in on the plan after a while. Exactly. He never like, just, how he found... Like, I guess he followed him? I don't know. Like, he's bro, what about him? that very uncomfortable scene that that went nowhere where they show Aaron Paul naked, butt-ass naked, where you can see <laughs> butt sleeping, and they just cut away. There's actually a scene of Aaron Paul butt-ass naked. I wonder if that was a rib, bro. Like, legit. <laughs> and then they just <laughs> so to be up. in there. So, so okay, so Aaron Paul goes to confront uh, Anthony Mackie and to warn Casey Affleck that they're actually going to kill him. Then it gets stupid, bro, because this is when you need a laugh track from, like, Cheers or whatever. So Anthony Mackie and, and Aaron Paul have a shootout with the thug, and, and they end up, hit, they, they kill Aaron Paul. 
Yes. But before Aaron Paul dies, he he shoots Anthony Mackie in the head. And it's very, like, the, the editing of that was so bad because it was comedic. Yeah. Just, the, just the way Anthony Mackie took the bump, and, and it was stupid. And he's really, still alive, bro. He got hit in the head. Yeah. And then Casey, and then Casey this, is, this is like, the, remember the Simpsons, bro, when they shot that Arnold Schwarzenegger guy? Oh, fuck. And then he's like, save my family. But he had, like, a, a hundred bullet holes on him. Right. So so Casey Affleck, the whole time Casey Affleck has that fucking, uh, uh, that Mark Wahlberg befuddled look as this is going on. Because he don't know what the fuck's going on. So so he's looking at motherfuckers kill each other. He don't know what's going on. And then when, when Anthony Mackie gets shot in the head, he takes a bump. And then fucking Casey Affleck goes up to him. He's like, are you all right? Are you? He got shot in the fucking head, you know? No idea. And then he's fucking trying to revive him and shit. He, he called. No, and this is where it gets stupid, bro. This is just, He calls in the triple nine. nine. He's the one so, that calls it in. So so we're supposed to get the whole oh, irony or fucking, you know, the whole right. thing about, about this being like a fucking Greek tragedy or whatever. So he, the guy that had to be the triple nine, he calls in the triple nine. But then these fucking clowns, they they still think it's Anthony Mackie that called it the triple nine. So they go in for the heist. And they go through all this ring and roll, bro. They, they want to kill a cop, but they don't have the balls to shoot the fucking security guards. They actually carry those electrical gimmicks, bro, that just stunned them. Like, well, what thinking, about what about the, they strapped the, that, bomb, that, like, that mini bomb to like that guard's leg and they blew it up so that he, he lost his foot <laughs> and shit? Remember, bro? That gimmick with the fucking uh, the, the anklet or something? I know suddenly you had a fucking physicist on their crew, bro. And they, just fucking... Fucking, and they just like let it go off for no reason, bro, and to be dicks. <laughs> But the fact that he built the bomb in the first place, bro, right. just on the spot, and, and they just have these gadgets. Yeah, he puts a little strap on the rena pig or whatever, and he presses the button, and the, and the guy loses his leg. He's all screaming. Yeah. And, and um, so Adolfo's probably thinking this fucking movie is a mess, and it is. It's just like you it don't is, know. Bro. Okay, so so, and it's not even. A, it's like a two-hour movie, bro. So it's kind of tedious. So you're sitting there, and and you're first of all you're wondering what the fuck's going on because the director made a he kind of made a poor job of like like the ebbs and flows shit's just happening and you kind of your brain is trying to catch up with what's going on like you're like what the fuck you know so it just um somehow okay so they they get the envelope all right and then they go back to the Russian bitch which is Kate Winslet once again perf- the worst performance of a lifetime for her. Yeah. Uh, and then she gets the envelope, and she still, dude, she still fucks with him, bro. She's like, okay, I'm still not gonna give you your kid back. And she gives him the money, but then she goes like, you know, you're not, you're not gonna see your son again, you know. And remember, yeah. and, and uh, Chiwetel has a gift for her son because he's thinking, oh, she's gonna bring, you know. Uh, oh, some, 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 somehow, somehow, uh, tell he's clairvoyant. Yes. So he, he, he figured all this out already. <laughs> He's like, oh, she, he's like, she, she screwed me once already. She's probably gonna screw me again. So I'm so ready she, for this bitch. So like, uh, he, he has a gift in his hand that's a gift wrap, like for her son. So, uh, so she comes out at the car, like with her goons. She gives him the money, but then she says, you know, that I'm amending the deal. You're not gonna see your son ever again. So and, consider and this where, gift. Where, where, that, where, where, I'll where, tell him it's the parting gift, right? <laughs> Yeah. So she unwraps the gift, and it's like this like video game type of thing. It's like a little handheld game thing. So she goes like, okay, this will be nice. I'll just tell him this is like a parting gift from his father. So they leave, right? And all of a sudden, he drive, he, he gets beat up by the goons you know, for yeah, his trouble, does, right? And they almost run him over, too. Yeah, they almost run him over when they were pulling out. You're right. And then he drives <laughs> off, and all of a sudden, it cuts back to the car, and a little light goes off on the game, and it blows up the car, bro, and it kills all of them. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. 
this dumb fuck, what happens if she would have kept her word? He, he didn't take that into consideration. If she would have kept her word, she would have discovered that he would have fucked it all up again. It yeah, but I get. I think the idea was since she already screwed him once by not paying him for the first slice, he figured she's going to do it again. No, and the idea right, that but... this is a poorly made film is the idea, bro. <laughs> so, so... I, I'm giving him too much credit, I guess. <laughs> so so then it doesn't end there, Adolfo. I guess there's more shit. There's more to it, bro. Because so, now Clifton Collins Jr. <laughs> so, so, now, so now he be, somehow Clifton Collins Jr. he becomes the top heel a week before WrestleMania, bro. So <laughs> I, I mean, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Ellie Ellie Walja elector or whatever his fucking name is <laughs> he, he has the money bro and we're supposed to like feel for him right because he's kind of like hero of the movie even though he killed our boy norman readers when he could have just taken him to a hospital, hospital yeah. so so he's there and he's like i got the money brother <laughs> and then clifton Connors jr just fucking shoots him bro he kills him and he takes the money so we're supposed to be again this is like some blood simple kind of shit going on at this point uh, you know where people are just dying for no reason but the problem is that the movie's so bad at this point that you don't feel shit anymore you don't yeah, feel compl- you're apathetic you just, to everything i just feel like the guy was a dumbass because you knew it was see there's not the, the worst thing bro the worst thing you could have in a thriller is when you're ahead of it any filmmaker would tell that the the worst writing is when you as the spectator are ahead of the storyline and you're waiting for it to catch up to you. And then once everything happens according to how you put it in your head, it just it's kind of a letdown because nothing really yeah. resonates. And this just happened that- in the this just happened in the worst way too because what happens is fucking Clifton Collins Jr. pulls him over as a, like a rib <laughs> on him. Remember? <laughs> He pulls him over, right, with the flashing lights of the car and everything, and then he goes up to the window. And now, now remember, and Chiwetel has a gun out. He puts the money, like, under the seat, and he has a gun out thinking he's going to shoot this cop who pulled him over, right? So he comes up to the window, and it's Clifton Collins' buddy, and he goes, like, oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just messing with you, man. Did you get the money? He goes, like, yeah, I got the money. And then all of a sudden, he just pulls out a gun and shoots him. That's it, bro. <laughs> That's the end of the character we've been following for half of the movie. Right, and as soon as I see him come up, like, he's saying, oh, I'm, I'm just messing with you, man. I'm like, oh, he's going to shoot him. And he yeah. shoots him, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and you just do the, you do the classic, he tilts over and he's dead, and that's it. Yeah. So now, so now Clifton Collins takes the, uh, the he, he's he's done, he's got the money, he's going to take off, but he has to he has to do whatever he does. He's got to cover all his bases. So now he's going to start killing everybody that was involved in it. So, uh, um... Who's left? Oh, he has to kill Casey Affleck. Well, remember, he, he, remember, uh, Casey Affleck, like, he now threw, like, Woody Allen, uh, Woody Allen, Woody Harrelson. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm fucking up, interrupt for just one second. How the hell is this movie still going on? Like, I swear you've gone through, like, three different movies at this point. Yes. <laughs> that's the whole point. That's how disjointed this whole shit is. But this is All the right. end of it, I swear to God. So, remember... Uh, our boy Clifton Collins is trying to go kill Anthony Mackie now in the hospital bed, but he sees Casey Affleck there. Now, at this point, Casey Affleck has found out that, like, Anthony Mackie's a traitor, so he's like, you know, you son of a bitch, I can't believe you. Like, and, and Anthony Mackie's, like, in a coma already, so he can't hear him. But then Clifton <laughs> Collins shows up, and he goes, like, oh, you need to be debriefed at the station. And yeah, then Casey Affleck just says, okay. He doesn't even, like, think about it once, like, this guy could be setting me up. And he goes, like, okay, I'll go with you. So they go in the elevator, and he gets a call from his uncle Jeff, who's Woody Harrelson, and he can <laughs> barely get reception in the fucking elevator. But he's like, you know, uh, Cliff. He, has, he says, you know, Clifton Collins is the traitor. Don't don't listen to him. So all of a sudden, they go outside, 
and then uh, Clifton Collins gets in his car, and Woody Harrelson is in the car, and then they both <laughs> just shoot each other. <laughs> that's, that's, the that's the end of the movie. So, so uh, let, let me let, let our brain catch up to what we just described here. First of all, what about the part where Clifton Collins steals the envelope and then he goes back to the crime scene? Is everything all right? Like, he fucking traveled like 10 miles in like two seconds, bro. And also, um, it, like, Woody Harrelson's character is like this bad. They want to make him like in this badass fucking dope dealing, uh, dope de- no, like dope user uh, of detectives. Yeah, Say, but it's t- like like an idiot savant type of thing. Like he's like this like uh, alcoholic drug guy, but like yeah. he, he's one step ahead of these like criminals, you know. So it's like. What about the part where? What about the part where he's in the crime scene, bro? And he takes like some fucking cocaine and he's talking to the girl. And he just does the line right he in front. He does the line right in front of her. <laughs> And he starts talking about, well, but this early, he starts talking about, am I the only one who believes in the good Lord Jesus Christ? (laughs) He's just going on this whole spiel. This is the thing, Adolfo, that there's certain dialogue in this movie where they think they're making this great epic film. So Woody Harrison starts starts cutting this promo, like this is supposed to be his moment, right? This, oh, this is the Woody Harrison moment. But it's so preposterous because at this point we're not even taking anything serious anymore. So it comes off more cartoony. It's and very that's cartoony. The, that's the problem with this film is that you could tell that in their minds they thought they were making this classic, which ends up like just falling apart. It, it, it just falls apart completely. And it was like when the credits rolled, it was like, fuck, oh, finally. And then we just all got up and left. It's stupid, bro. It's just a dumb movie. And and here I thought this film would be like a five-minute segment. We made it to like 15 minutes, bro. But to my to our credit, we this is all off the top of our head. I I, I didn't this is, well, I just saw yeah, it. Like, yeah, me too. Off top, well, I just saw it too. So it's pretty fresh in my head, but still, it's just just so ridiculous, bro. I mean, if you wanna if you wanna kill like two hours, I mean, get it as like a red box or something. But like, just so you can laugh at it because that's really yeah. all you can do with this. Yeah, and then, and then uh, uh, I don't know. I don't think you guys really sold it. So. <laughs> and then Casey Affleck plays the, the biggest retard in the entire movie, and he's supposed to be like the main good guy. He's like the main guy we're supposed to, like out of like he's the one good guy in all of this, right? We're supposed to sympathize with him, but he's a fucking idiot. They make him like, <laughs> they make him into a goofball like fucking Dean Ambrose. It is yeah, just, yeah. you know, so, it's hard to get behind him. You know what? Now that I think about it, I don't regret my two hours because this is one of those movies that's such a disaster that it, but it's it became... hilarious though, especially like it's Woody disaster. Harrelson going like crazy and and doing lines in front of like chicks and shit. Yeah, Anthony, Anthony ba- Mackie Bump, when he got shot in the head alone, is enough for a watch. Yeah, but like, you know, again, like the Daryl Dixon fans, Norman Reedus does, it is a complete jobber in this movie, so uh, you won't like that, but everything else, it's just, it's it's like so bad, it's good territory, in a way. And it's too bad, because the cast is amazing. They had, again, yeah, great cast, it's just, but they, they, you could tell, like, they were very phoned in performances, they didn't care. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Whatever, man. So anyways, that's, that's it, that's triple nine. nine. <laughs> triple nine. For the wrong reasons, bro. <laughs> exactly. But uh, now we can move on to our main event film and the one we're really here to talk about, and that's 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is a wacky film that I enjoyed the hell out of. And uh, I'm going to let Adolfo start this conversation off. Um, I know well, you've, been, you've been waiting in the wings for like the last 20 minutes. but uh... well, No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out exactly how to talk about this movie without giving too much away because I don't. Because I think the fun of this movie is going into it without knowing anything. Uh, I went into it, and I, I went to see it the opening weekend 
because I knew I heard all the buzz about it having like not necessarily twists, but I mean, I guess you could call them twists. Not like a M Night Shyamalan kind of twist ending, but it, it certainly has it goes places you don't necessarily expect it to. So I didn't. I wanted to watch it before uh, I got, you know, I got anything spoiled for me. So I'm just gonna read the um, the online. Uh, the online summary for it. Uh, after surviving a car accident, Michelle, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, wakes up to find herself in an underground bunker with two men. Howard, uh, who's played by John Goodman, tells her that a massive chemical attack has rendered the air unbreathable and their only hope of survival is to remain inside. Despite the comforts of home, Howard's controlling and menacing nature makes Michelle want to escape. After taking matters into her own hands, uh, well, I'm not actually going to read the rest of it because it actually goes into a little bit of spoiler rest of it, uh, spoiler territory there. But basically, uh, the whole movie takes place in this kind of doomsday shelter uh, bunker kind of thing that uh, John Goodman's character, who you find out is kind of a conspiracy nut, uh, built uh, you know before whatever happened or didn't happen or maybe happened happened. Um, it's so hard to talk about this movie without getting giving anything away. Um, so basically, it's kind of like this. Uh, thriller, kind of like uh, along the lines of a movie like Misery, where you have someone who's who uh, kind of saves somebody and is keeping them somewhere against their will. Um, but yes. you, but the, but the difference here is that they're in a doomsday bunker, and you're not quite sure if he's telling the truth about what's going on outside, or if he's lying, uh, or to what extent he, the truth is, or to what extent he might be lying. And there's another guy that's in there with them who seems to, who seems to believe what John Goodman's saying. Uh, I, it's so hard to talk about this without giving me stuff away. That's all I'm going to say. It's basically a thriller in that environment. And, um, it just it takes many twists and turns from that point. So a couple of things here. First of all, this movie was originally t- titled The Cellar. That's the, they made it with that title in mind. All right. Um, what happened was that it was made under the Bad Robot, you know, banner, which is J.J. Uh, Abrams' company. And J.J. <clears throat> for the longest time had wanted to make it a sequel to Cloverfield, but he said that due to like Pacific Rim and Godzilla, he felt like making another one would just come off as a clone to those movies. So they, they could never find the right mix to reintroduce a, a, a straight sequel to Cloverfield. And what happened was that when he saw this movie under his banner, he felt like we could we could make it in the same universe. You know, we, we could, it, it, it works for, for, for kind of creating this mythology around the Cloverfield name. So that, that, that was what he did. Now, he... For the longest time, when he was doing the media for this film, he did state there ain't going to be no monster, big monster. I mean, you know, the, the chlorophyll monster ain't going to be there. He pretty much said it off the hop because he didn't want people to build their expectations. And he also said, think about it as this a distant cousin to, to the, chlor- the original chlorophyll. That's what this is, all right? So that going into, the, <clears throat> going into this movie, um, I think, with me anyway... Um, Having the, first, the the original Chlorophyll in mind, it kind of made everything more tense for me because, you know, there, there, there's a scene there where uh, uh, um, the, the, the girl finally goes up and she sees what she sees, right? And, I'm, and it doesn't correlate with what I saw in the first. So now my mind is being blown in a good way because now I'm trying to piece everything together. All right, good. Uh, with that said... Uh, this was a great fucking film, man, and I think this was the, the John Goodman fucking toward the force here. Oh my god, here, John Goodman was amazing in this movie because he 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 was funny, he was scary, 
He was, uh, you know, everything that you, that you could emote, he did it. And he was angry, you know, and he did a great job in, in allowing the audience to see everything from his point of view. Like, at the end of the day, when you see the entire movie, he was kind of doing these two motherfuckers a favor, you know, when you think about everything that's yeah. going on. And so, you know, but then again, it, 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 the, the big question asked here to me is, would you rather be in there with that monster or would you rather be out there with, you know, that monster? You know what I'm saying? So that, that that's the big dilemma that, that, that our protagonists had to deal with in this entire movie. And then also from their point of view, they don't even really know the monster outside. They know the monster inside, but they don't know the monster outside. So Or so if there is a monster. He's the monster, I was just going to say. Right. But, but, but John Goodman's character is so believable in his explanation that pretty soon... Well, he convinced the, the guy. The guy, you know, this is, you know, he the guy, because let's be real, the guy was there, you know, but uh, with, with with Mary Elizabeth Winston, you kind of, you know, she believes him, she doesn't believe him, and that's the that's pretty much the entire second act of the movie, you know? And um, just the twist and turns this movie takes, you know, um, the, the, it has a great montage of when things are going good, you know, I'll leave it at that. And, yeah. And, I also love, I love the introduction of the bunker because the bunker itself is a character in the movie. Uh, I love how the director kind of showed sections of it and then he pans out to show the entire bunker. I love that shot a lot, you know, just because um, they have a scene where John Goodman is kind of giving them the tour and that's where, you know, if, if you're into production and you build sets or whatever, you appreciate those scenes because he's like, this is this part, this is this part. And you see the little the little frames of every part of the bunker. And then at the end, they pan out and you see the entire bunker and them just talking in the middle of it. I, I really, that was an amazing shot to me because you, you get to appreciate what went into the small budget of this film, uh, even just building that. So, um, yeah, it, it has a lot of, it has a lot of uh, cool things. Um one other thing that I did like was that uh, Mary Elizabeth Winston was she was like a like a like a strong woman, you know. She wasn't a weak right. woman at all. Like, yeah. I, I, she, she, go ahead. I, I was gonna mention what I like about this movie is that unlike other you know horror, I don't know if it, you qualify it as a horror movie, but like thriller, horror thriller movies uh, with a female protagonist. Um, what I like about this movie is that she's not stupid. She doesn't make stupid decisions, and she like if you watch. Um, Pretty much any horror or thriller movie with a with a female protagonist, half of the other, half of the decisions they make throughout the course of the movie, you're like, why are you doing that? That's the dumbest thing you could ever possibly do. But the from the second she she wakes up and she's chained to the uh, uh, to the pipe in, in the um, in, in the cellar in the bunker, she immediately goes into survival mode and starts going into like, all right, how do I get out of here? Where the yes. where the fuck am I? I have to get out of here because this is clearly not a safe situation. I have to figure out what to do. And she makes smart decisions. Whether or not they work or not is another different story. But she makes intelligent decisions on trying to escape. She's not like stupid. She's not she's not Bryce Dallas Howard in Jurassic World running in high heels from a Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> right. Like she 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 knows what she's she uh, she's not necessarily like, you know, uh, like ultra survivalist, but she makes common sense decisions that anybody in that situation might conceivably make right she's not booked like a jobber you're saying exactly right she right. she's very smart and she but well the other thing i like about the movie is that before she gets there they, there's a whole kind of like i don't know like five ten minute sequence of uh what happens before she gets i don't think it's giving too much away to to say that she gets into a car accident and then when she wakes up she's in the cellar um but the thing is what's what's what 
the movie does really well as far as building it because the movie really plays with the audience's doubts about whether or not there is actually something going on outside or not. Yeah. And um, at the beginning of the movie, you see stuff like there. You hear a radio report about power outages. And, like, she goes to get gas. There's nobody at the gas station. The, the, everything's deserted. And she gets into a car accident. But then later you find out that John Goodman was the one who brought her. So if there was stuff going on, what was he doing out? You know, things like that. Like, it just kind of mess with your perception of what is actually happening, what isn't happening. And um, eventually when you find out the truth, it – man, I don't want to give it away. But it's <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's it it's rewarding. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I think, too, um, I don't know how you guys felt, but I, I was convinced of, of what John Goodman was at the end. I, I know a lot of people still weren't, but they give us enough clues to, to pretty much tell us where he stood as far as a character. You know, I, I don't mean, know how you. I, yeah, I mean, like, it, it was, it, I, I believed him, too, but at the same time, he was. it seemed like he was getting worse and worse as far as, like, his mental state. So, I mean, the, the right decision was to, like, try to kind of try to break out of the bunker. You know, no, no, but 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 even even as far as like, cause you know, this motherfucker was crazy. All right, yeah. I'm just gonna say he was a fucking psychopath. All right, and and they gave us enough to know that. All right, so so um, that's it. That, and and once the funny part is that you would think there's a certain part of the movie where the movie would end, but it doesn't end, and that's a treat for the people. Because yeah. then there's this whole another part of the movie where shit takes off. And it leads to the it's ending. And that shit crazy. You're absolutely right. And it's just awesome. Because, like, they're just throwing everything out at, at, to the wall at the end to see, what's, <laughs> see what'll stick, you know? But and it's it awesome. sort of And it sort of ends in a cliffhanger where you're like, okay, now what, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But but, really but, but, not, but not in the bad cliffhanger. In the, no, it ended in the, like, like in the cliffhanger where we know there's another part to the to the story, but that story that we paid for has already been told. Right, so we gotta, that story yeah. is resolved. Like yeah, that's good. Yes, but it's kind of like uh, not not to bring it, but it's kind of like Back to the Future, where like the main story of Back to the Future was resolved, but then they end it with a cliffhanger. Like, but there's another adventure this way. You know, right, it's kind of right. like that. Like mm -hmm. you you're not left unsatisfied, um, but it kind of ends you with like a oh, there could be more of this now. Now let me say something. Now now I'm gonna get something off my chest here that's been bothering me. All right, J.J. Abrams has really gone into this thing about viral marketing, and I don't like it. I think it's a bad move. Um, for the people that haven't watched Ten Cloverfield Lane, I'm not gonna give anything away. But if you want to find the connection, I'll just say this. Follow John Goodman's character. Go online, do your, and then you're gonna you're gonna find the connection to Cloverfield. It's right there. But the key word is follow his character online. I don't like that at all because if you do your research with the viral marketing, you're gonna find the connection. But you shouldn't have to do that. And and he he kind of started that with Cloverfield. That's the first one. And then and then but see that was we still got a, a nice little story. But then he went with with Force Awakens, and I know it was out of his hand or whatever. But but still, he he did a lot of the viral marketing where you had to kind of you know follow other aspects of the, of of the media to get all the answers for Force Awakens, like real answers, you know. So now he's he's getting worse and worse of it because this is there's an entire plot line, not plot line, but just an entire character arc to John Goodman's character that we don't even get in the movie unless you start following where he comes from and all that, you know, and then you're gonna get the connection. And I don't think I, I don't agree with that strategy as far as marketing because 
I don't have time to do that. You know, I just want to get the answers where I'm sitting there, whether you give them to me, in, 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 you know, uh, uh, how do you call it, in a symbolic form. I'm done with that. I'll figure it out in my own, my head. But just give me the pieces in the movie, all right? And so that really bothered me a little bit. Well, I think the idea is, like, you could, and it's the same thing with the with the first Cloverfield. You can go into both these movies without having, you know, even seen a lick of the of the viral marketing, and you can still enjoy the story. But by going through all of that, like by actually looking up his character, or by like in the first Cloverfield, going to all, read all those news articles about Slusho and all that, the, the the corporation behind it. You know, when you go into the movie, then after that, or on subsequent viewings, you get more of a you have more of a backstory, and you get more of a satisfaction as a viewer by what you're watching. I guess that's the idea. That's why I love what they do with the viral marketing. But I understand, you know, your. But but I but I feel like sometimes they 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 use that crush too much. You know, I mean, they do get you started. Um, you know, there's the envelope scene that if you follow that envelope, you're gonna, that that that's where John Goodman, you know, worked or whatever, and that's where you get all the information. But and and it actually also answers why the fuck he's so paranoid. You know, he tells you what he does for a living or did for a living, and and then you start okay, now I know why he's paranoid. But uh, I don't know. I just think there was if people are looking for the connection, connection, they're not going to get it just watching this film. They're just not going to get it. Well, I mean, the franchise itself is built on the whole viral marketing aspect. So I think people going into this already know, OK, there's there's a backstory to this, just like in the first one. And I have to I have to look it up if I want to know. So because right. even if you remember that very first Cloverfield trailer from the first one, it was just, just you know, the images of, like, the Statue of Liberty getting blown up or whatever, and it just had a date on it, no title or anything. And that's what got you started on that. So, you know, the whole franchise is built on, like, this whole, like, other, like, you know, alternate reality game, I guess, as they call it, of just looking up backstory. And J.J. creating this whole universe, you know, around these films. Right. So um, we'll see what happens if they come out with a third one. I don't know what this one did at the box office. If it was, a, was it a hit? I don't know. I mean, um, uh, let me look. I, I think it was a, um, it was a modest success. I don't think it like broke records or anything. Um, yeah, but, but it just, certainly but, but was that, very. That, yeah, for them that would be a hit because that was yeah. a modest budget. Um, it's it made. Did. I don't know what the budget is, but it's made thirty-one million. That movie did not cost thirty-one million. It cost a lot less than that. So yeah, yeah. Um, I don't I don't have a budget right now, but um, it's made thirty-one million dollars. That's not bad. Um, that isn't bad at all, actually. Um, if they come out with a sequel, which I think they probably will, because sure this movie is very well reviewed. Um, and uh, I think and plus the fans of the, I guess you can call it a franchise now, or really like it. Will they do a third movie that's different than the, these previous two, or will it follow what kind of we reveal at the end of the uh, of Ten Cloverfield? That's a good thing? question, but I think the idea what they want to do with this now is just to kind of create like an anthology series with the Cloverfield yeah, name on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, like like I put it to a guy that I was com- conversating with after we watched it, because one thing this movie does is that it does create conversation, which is a good thing. I it, it creates conversation in the right direction. There is there is no turn the channel heat. It, it, it leaves you thinking, but it also kind of leaves you. It gives you enough to connect certain dots, you know. So so in that sense, I guess it's good. And and I know a lot of my friends wanted to talk about it after it was over. And you know, I guess the best way is you know I still I told it is like just think of Halloween three, you know uh, that that's still it, it's the same universe and and there is somewhat of a connection. But to expect a straight sequel, you don't do that. You know? Yeah, it's, it's, it, exactly. it really isn't. 
And they give you enough little things to tell you that this is kind of like an isolated story, everything from like the iPhone, you know, so you know it's not, it's definitely not a prequel. I'll tell you that, fuck, I'm gonna give that away right now. But other than that, just go watch it and, and just have a good time. There's there are also. According to the to Variety, the budget on this was fifteen million and it made thirty one. So it's already made its money back. And I'm gonna buy the Blu-ray. So me too. I already pre-ordered it from Best Buy. <laughs> I pre-ordered actually these yeah, steelbooks. I always pre-order. Yeah, but you're into that collecting the steelbooks, so yeah. that's good. I mean, I'm not really into that stuff. So yeah, um, I don't know. It's an interesting. It was. It's an interesting movie. I really, really liked it. I think it might be my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, it is. It is with me. But two months into the year, yeah, it was my. I favorite. mean, yeah, it's only two months into the year, but. Um, better but, than uh, Deadpool. Yeah, I liked, I liked it better. I liked it better. I love Deadpool, but and that's not a shot at Deadpool. I just, I think I like this one a little better. Um, I think you know. Back to your point, where you were saying about you know the viral marketing. I, I hear what you're saying as far as the marketing stuff goes, but I do kind of like that it, it does generate discussion amongst geeks uh like oh what do you think this means or what do you think this means and you know what you know how does this relate to the other thing exactly. i've heard some wacky theories on how how these two relate to each other uh the the most the one i've seen the most uh, involves parallel universes and that's all i'll say about that uh but i i mean because just because of the fact that um a lot of people think that there's enough clues in the movie that the world that uh, this movie set in is not necessarily the same world that Cloverfield is set in, which leads to a parallel universe idea. I don't know. Originally, and this is not a spoiler because this is pretty much the first, you know, two minutes of the movie or whatever. You know, I thought this was a concept. This movie was a consequence of the uh, nuclear attack after the ending of the first one. That's what I thought was driving this one. But you know, was I wrong or right? Go go watch it. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. What I thought was going to happen was along the same lines. What I thought was going to happen was that it was going to be the because I didn't know where it actually took place. So I thought it was going to be around the same area, like but in the suburbs of where of New York, where you know where the Cloverfield monster attacked, and you know these people are now in the bunker, and that's after that attack or something. That's what I thought was happening, but Wait, um, that's not what's happening. <laughs> You know, you know what's kind of fucked up too, in a way. All they had to do, bro, is go back and maybe shoot like one scene, just one scene of dialogue to connect both of them, like you know, a straight connection. But they didn't even do that. They're like, fuck it, we have this movie, we're just gonna put it out there, and we're just gonna name it Lane, Ten Cloverfield Lane, and that's it. You know, that's pretty much what happened. I'm assuming like what they probably did, like they probably had filmed that shot of, like, the envelope, so, like, where, where John Goodman's character worked, they probably shot that last to kind of, you start, like, with the whole, like, connection to, like, yeah, Overfield. yeah, but, that, that's, yeah. So they must have done that last, once they decided to change the name, but, uh, anyway. And, and, and I like how they, they'll fuck with you, because there's that scene with the, where the mailbox, and it says 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes. But it's like, but it's like, that must, that can't help you, because the first one had nothing to do with the name Cloverfield. Cloverfield, exactly. What, Clo what Cloverfield did, it's a rib on... Because Cloverfield was the title that they used to film the monster movie as to not give away the title. And they just decided, fuck it, let's just fuck leave it, it as Cloverfield. Fuck it, so, yeah. so that name itself has really no no connection to anything in that universe. It's but just, I, it's, I, I think if I remember... I haven't seen the movie in a while, though. I'm, I'm going to revisit it, like, probably this weekend or something. But 
I think wasn't the 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 military file name on the incident called Cloverfield? It was like the code name for it. I don't remember, but I think that's what it was. That's okay. That's the connection that, that, that had to be in passing because the military doesn't. Oh yeah, they they do get involved. Remember this? Uh, it's a found footage film. The the first movie. So I think what happens is like like it's a message before you know the movie scene like you know the U.S. government found these tapes or whatever and there's it's a code name Cloverfield or whatever it was I think I remember that from the beginning but I have to go rewatch it again to be sure. But yeah, uh, that, that, that was back in the good old days when found footage films gave you a reason why you're watching found footage. Now they don't they don't even tell you you're just watching everything in real time now even though it's found footage. Yeah. So there's so many. There's so many goddamn clones of this found footage genre. I'm I'm done with it, man. I there's like 20 movies of this genre. Was Cloverfield was Cloverfield the last good found footage movie? Can you think well, of one? I don't, I don't remember anyone after that, to be honest. Well, there have been no, some, but uh, I know no, there have been some, but none come to mind. Well, I'm a huge fan of the Wreck franchises, and they're all oh Wreck. I, I, oh, yeah, Wreck is good. Yes. But I thought Wreck. Wreck was either either right before or at the same time as Cloverfield. No, but it's a franchise. They're up to part four now. and they're Yeah, I've, I've only ever seen the first one. The first one is amazing. I've never seen the other yeah, ones. One is, yeah, that first one's awesome. The, the American remake is garbage, but the original Wreck is, is one of my favorite horror movies ever. What I like about Wreck is, for the people that haven't watched it, check them out. Wreck 1 and 2 especially, because Wreck 1 is like Alien, and Wreck 2 is like Aliens. It's, it, it's, it's in the same setting, takes place right after uh, Rec 1, but they send an entire SWAT team in there, and they have those little GoPro cameras on their head, and that's how you yeah. get the entire... But that's, that, that movie is just fucking action, boss to the wall, you know, pretty much aliens, that's what it is. And so that's, that's a fun movie for, for, you know, for, for a different reason than Rec 1 was, where it was more methodical and slow paced and stuff. So uh, people should check... That's like, a, you know, you gotta check 1 and 2, because it takes place in the same night. But, um... Red 3 is, is all right. It takes place in a wedding. It's like there's a wedding, and it's more comedic. And Red 4 takes place in a boat. You don't want to watch that one. That one really sucks. <laughs> you don't want to watch that one. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so that, I definitely watch Cloverfield. We can't he, put over, bro, we can't put over John Goodman's performance here enough, I think. I mean, I don't think we're doing it justice. This amazing performance. He's able to, like, get – he's able to soothe you as an audience member, like, being all calm. And like kind of reassuring you, and then all of a sudden the switch goes off, and he's a crazy like lunatic. And but it's it, also and because scared like, again, which is awesome. What, what I think, why I think it's so brilliant that they cast John Goodman is because um, John Goodman is kind of like a beloved actor. Like everyone loves John Goodman just because of whether it's because of Roseanne or any of the other movies he's done. Like people just love the guy, so it's easy to like kind of fall into like almost trusting him, you know. But then that kind of makes his menace more menacing whenever it happens right. yes definitely uh and, I, and, I i i think i think i i i think that this is like i don't i'm not saying it will be but i'm saying i think this is like an oscar worthy performance i think this is an amazing performance yeah but you know they never recognize oh it's happen, never gonna yeah. get it no. but i mean stranger things have happened i mean kathy bates get one won an oscar for misery so yeah but yeah, this, this is... Uh, no, I don't think it will. But and, I, and besides, I guarantee you that at the end of the year, we're going to be talking about 10 other guys that really impressed Oh, no, me. no, I absolutely, I absolutely, <laughs> right? absolutely I'm just saying, this is like, an, to me, an Oscar-caliber performance. Oh, me too, definitely. Uh, even even Mary Elizabeth Winston was knocked it out of the park. Yeah, she was she's really good. And she's I like how she, she's like a very attractive woman, but like, 
She's not a Barbie oh. doll, which I like. She's You're like she's really right on that, bro. She's one of those girls that you know you could have a shot with at a bar or whatever because she, you know, she, 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 and she just the way she, she, she came off. Like she came off as this badass woman who just, you know, but was vulnerable at the same time, which is again a, a thin line to kind of walk, you know. So it was, it was great. It was a great movie. Yeah, bro. This is this is legit, bro. I've actually had kind of a crush on her ever since I first saw her in Sky High, which I believe was her first like mainstream movie. And but by the way, that movie also had Kurt Russell, <laughs> fucking yeah. But, and and they reunited also. They were also both in Death Proof also, which was kind of awesome that they That's both right. were in a Quentin That's Tarantino right. movie later on. But uh, yeah, she's awesome in this movie, bro. Like she's she's, she's been on the, she's been on the on the on below the radar for years, and I was kind of hoping this was the movie that was gonna blow her up. But you know, she, she I don't know, she she just deserves the break because she's been around forever. She was really she was really good in this, and this movie was so good it made me forgive her for the Thing remake. Oh yeah, that's right. The the the, the prequel, whatever the hell it was. Yeah, the, that was yeah, that was. I hated that. That was horrible. Yeah. But she was in that. But I hated that movie. Yeah, but that wasn't her fault. Though. That was just the the movie. No, nah, she was fine in that movie. Yeah. But I I but I oh, boy, I hated that movie. Did, did I, I I don't think I've told you guys, but I got take. I guess John Carpenter's gonna go on tour, and I got tickets to go to one of his concerts to watch him perform all his uh, film scores. Oh shit, that's awesome. yeah, live. It's gonna be live. So, oh, he's um, gonna perform film score. That's interesting. That, yeah, yeah. yeah, so um, that's the same thing that What's-His-Name does every year, uh, uh, Tim Burton's composer. Um, Danny Elfman? Danny Elfman, yeah, he always goes on tour with his shit, which, which is, I, I went to one of his shows two years ago, and it was pretty fucking awesome, so, and of course, John Williams is always going on tour himself, so, they, it, it's a fun time if people like movies, go to go check out these guys, because they put on a show. Any Ennio Morricone does it too, but it's like only in Europe. Yeah. You know, was... you know, you know who I saw live was was Goblin. Goblin is uh they, they oh, did really? all the dark I saw them live uh two years ago and it was man, it was the best experience. Uh you know, Goblin does all the film schools for Dario Argento's films and Suspiria. Uh, Suspiria and Deep Red and you know all the classics. And and it's cool because as they're performing and they're like a real rock band, so they're performing and you see like they, they project all the classic scenes from all Dario Argento's movies in the back. And, you know, I mean, Suspiria is one of the most beautiful movies ever filmed. I mean, the colors in it, everything. Was, so, so it was like seeing it in like a high definition screen. That was that was a great fucking concert. Speaking speaking of remakes, they're remaking Suspiria. Did you know that? Yeah, I know, but oh. Jesus, that's oh, a, that, that's a that, that's a seventy slow burn right there. That's another really slow burn, but it's so moody. That that's a, that's a good compliment to The Witch right there. I love that oh, movie, nice. but I I gotta be honest, I don't think I know what the hell's going on at the end. Well, that's a classic Dario Argento staple because I think a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of it gets lost in translation. So even though it was an American movie with American actors, but he but shot I, out his he shot he shot out his movies in Italy with with his point of view. Yeah, but I will say that the final the final sh- the the final thing where the woman comes out of the thing holding the knife that still freaks me out. It's a great shot. Yeah, yeah well, the, the entire movie shot beautifully. It's his best movie he ever did. So so uh, Suspiria. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm 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 glad you pulled. By the way, I'm glad you pulled out the Deep Red reference because nobody nobody ever knows when I talk about Deep Red, and I love Deep Red. Uh, Deep Red and yeah. Suspiria are both awesome. But um, uh, the the remake has Dakota Johnson, our favorite actress from Fifty Shades of Grey. Holy! Oh my god! And uh, Tilda Swinton. I guess Tilda Swinton's gonna play the the the, the head mistress who it turns out to be the head witch. Yeah. But um, Jesus, I mean. The thing is that these are these are the visions of the filmmakers at the time. You know, you can't. I don't know what the, well, all these remakes. What you're thinking, like, what do you what do you want to accomplish? 
Like, well, what are you going to do to a classic? What could you possibly do to a classic? Are you not going to make it better? So mm, why make no it? There, there's so many fucking Roger Corman movies out there that I wish they remade because they were so low budget and so wacky, but they had a certain story to them that with a, with a bigger visionary could become something. But they don't go for those. They go for, other than Death Race uh, 2000, which was a pretty cool movie when they remade it. But other than that... Uh, they keep on tackling these classics that they only make. They only end up embarrassing themselves. Like Poltergeist, where they completely chop the balls off of that. Poltergeist and Ugh, I still hate that movie. <laughs> uh, Ghostbusters, yeah. Uh, the thing, the thing was, you know, they marketed it as a prequel, but it was the same plot, you know. It was the exact same plot. It was the same plot, but it still ends up at the be- at the the end ends up at the beginning of the the 1982 movie for some. Yeah, yeah. Even though the same movie just happened. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I just looked up uh, John Carpenter, you know, like his tour dates. He's going to be in New York in July 8th, so I might check that out. Uh, now you got me interested in that, dream. And then a week later, he's going to be at the Talia Hall in Chicago, just in case you're interested at all. I have so no idea the, what the hell that is. <laughs> the only I've, thing about I've, John Carpenter is that if you if you see him, like, I hope he makes it to this tour and doesn't die on us or something, man. Because he's old, and <laughs> a tour takes a lot out of people. You're going to different cities and performing. So, uh, yeah, but I'll be there marking out the whole time, you know. Um, I mean, I mean, because I'm a huge fan of, of his of his film scores. He's got The Thing, Assault Priest in 13, The Fog. Well, no, the Thing was the Ennio Morricone, though. That's right. You're right, because, yeah, the, the Thing was... No, no, it was both of them. Oh, was because, it both? Because remember, the controversy was that John Carpenter ended up using his shit anyway, which is why uh, Ariel Marconi ended up using some of his unused shit on, on 808. Oh, okay. And then and the story with that is that Tarantino, because Tarantino's very, like, he's very protective of his movies. He hired Ariel Marconi because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the Man With No Name trilogy, you know, all that shit. So... Ariel Marconi ended up turning in what sounded like a horror fucking score. And Tarantino was it like... It does sound like a horror score. Yeah, so right. Tarantino yeah. was like... So Tarantino, out of respect to the man, he's like, fuck it. I mean, Hateful Eight does have horror elements and he just threw it in there. It, so complete, it, it does completely work, too. Yeah, yeah. It completely but, works. But somebody like a Tarantino who could be like the biggest prick when it comes to his art, I could see him not going back to that, you know? Because he had to be convinced to do that. He didn't... He That wasn't his idea. Because his whole thing is like... He was like, I always just buy, I always license the music, and then it's my music. So fuck, like, I want to use it how I want to use it. That's that's his gimmick, you know. For all his movies, he does that. But they convinced him to do a score for this one, and uh, you know, he, evidently he liked it. But he he did say that he got he got a horror score rather than getting like a more of a western score. So he used it anyway. But it worked. It worked. Well, yeah, he got an really Academy worked. Award for it, so that's good. Hey man, I you tell me you want to give me Ennio Morricone to score my movie? Go ahead, like that. Yeah, right. To me, like I know everyone talks about the John Williams, and John Williams is clearly the master. But to me, that Ennio Morricone is the the unsung hero. The I, I love I love Ennio Morricone. Like the the soundtrack to Once Upon a Time in the West is probably my, in my top three favorite soundtracks of all time. That it's a great soundtrack, and and um. I was listening to um, the one of the things that Tarantino knows how to do so well. Not only does he literally copy from like B movies that are unheard of, unless you're like a big time cinephile and you, you know all these references, but he also digs deep when it comes to music. I was listening to the uh, the Kill Bill soundtrack the other day. Just just had it on for start to finish, and all those that, all that music is great, especially like the 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 Grand Duel, the one that explains uh, Oren's origin with the anime. 
I love that song. You know, the it just it's just a great great soundtrack. And 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 um, for for Kill Bill Volume One, not so much Kill Bill Volume Two, but for Kill Bill Volume One, if you watch it in the big screen with the big surround sound, it's like uh, the soundtrack adds so much more to that movie. I haven't actually watched it in a while. I'm gonna have to go back and watch it now. <laughs> well, I, I did the I, I did the Tarantino Eight Challenge, so I just watched all eight of them. It took it took us eight weeks to get through them, but I, yeah. we finished it. Awesome. So now in two weeks we're gonna get the whole bloody affair, and he's gonna be there to uh, introduce it. So oh it's gonna be, and they're gonna feed us, and they're gonna do the whole. I've been York. wanting to see whole bloody affair for like freaking ten years now. What however long it's been since since that first. Kill Bill came but out, is there uh, is there any difference, or is it literally just the two films put together, or is there is there additional I, stuff? I've never seen it, but I know it's online already. I know the whole book because because it's available like in like in Europe or whatever. Yeah, in it, J- it came out in Japan, bro, and I was waiting for the DVD release here. It never happened. I imagine the beginning of Volume Two is edited because it's just a recap of, of Volume One where she's driving the car. With the old school fucking projector screen in the back as, yeah. as, as a fake road. Right, but do they but do they add anything? I guess is my question. I hope not. That movie's about four hours long already, so <laughs> but uh but but I'm a huge fan of I know everybody loves volume two because it's more of the spaghetti western type, but I'm a huge fan of volume one because it's it's a little more it has that kung fu element to it and right. it's also Me too. I like that. it's also more fast paced, you know. I mean that whole House of Blues uh, scene is like a classic. Yeah. And, and and um so so I'm Actually, a fan of volume yeah. But most cinephiles I talk to are don't like two as much as one. I'm I'm one of the few people I know that like consider them both about the same. Uh, but most people know prefer one to two. Okay, because what bothers me about two is that when when she finds Bill, like they have this like thirty minute fucking dialogue scene. Yeah, I know, yeah, and it's like, like it gets stalled. like remember remember he makes two sandwiches while he's you know during the expo. <laughs> he literally makes two sandwiches while while he's giving out exposition, and she's she's just there looking at him. And then he you know he he gives the whole fucking why Superman is a real hero, and all the other comic heroes are like they want to be heroes, but they're actually like. I actually, I actually really love that speech. Actually. No, it is. It's a great speech. It's one of my favorite speeches he's ever written because it makes total sense. But it, it just, it, it, it just drags the movie down. Like it's like after all the shit she's been through, then we have like the last act where it, it's literally they're actually dueling with their mouths until so she gives them the fucking death touch. It's just them just talking back and forth. They don't even really, you know, fight. I mean, I don't think Derek Carradine could fight at that point unless they're going to go the Christopher Lee in, in the prequel trilogy route where they CGI him jumping up and down and shit. Oh, but, but, uh, but yeah, it's just it, a lot of exposition, a lot of dialogue, which is a Tarantino staple, but some of it feels like, Jesus, just get on with it, you know? And, uh, and, yeah, uh, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I like it. And then uh, a lot of talking with, with Michael Madsen and Daryl Hannah because the middle portion is just really them, you know? And and whereas volume one has like just action scene, action scene, action scene, and then her trying to go to Japan, and so so I don't know. It, 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 that's that's the one I like the most. But I, but I guess if I watch them both splice into one, it's gonna be one big movie anyway. Yeah, you definitely gotta give us your thoughts on that once you see it, cause I'm I'm very curious. I've been wanting to see it for years. So. Yeah, and it's kind of cool because they're gonna give away like beanies and shirts, and and it's only gonna be like well, that's awesome when they do when the, the theaters do shit like that like at, at the marathons. You know, well, it was his idea. Yeah. yeah, it was his idea. He's like, if you guys could watch all of my movies every Friday night for eight weeks, then we'll screen this for you. And you know, he, he's he's gonna be there to like present it. 
I don't know if he's gonna, I don't know if he's gonna have photo ops. I hope he does, but I don't. I'm not expecting that. Yeah. And then like um, you know, then we're gonna see it. And that's the that was the big thing, the big prize at the end of the tunnel for fucking investing eight Fridays of your life. Yeah, you know? I would have done that too. Hell, shit. But it was cool because watching all the Tarantino films in 35 millimeter, like fuck. I mean, it's such a big difference, you know. Yeah. And 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 then the soundtrack just booming for every single one of his movies. Like I really grew to appreciate. Um, just his films again, you know? Yeah. I need to do that, too. I need to, like, do, like, a Tarantino marathon one day. Because I have all his movies, you know, I just have to... I haven't watched a lot of them in a while. You know, one of the things I forgot was that... I remember, uh, I think Danny said that, you know, Samuel L. Jackson has been in most of uh, Tarantino's films. And then uh, I think Adolfo was, like, he wasn't in uh, in uh, Inglourious Bastards. And I and at that time, I was like, you know, Adolfo's right. But he is there because... He is. He, he's the narrator he, for... For yeah, Hugo for, Stiglitz. Yeah, he's the narrator for Hugo Stiglitz. That's right. And yeah, when I saw, uh, yeah, I guess that counts. <laughs> I guess. That well, he's credited as narrator in the credits. So You're, that's true. That's true. <laughs> he's not in Reservoir Dogs. I know that much. Yeah. No, but, but I mentally, I mentally replaced the black guy that is there with Samuel L. Jackson. He just, they just didn't know each other at that time. But if if they knew each other, that would have been his role. <laughs> oh, you, now you got me on the glorious bastards, bro. Fuck but if it, you uh... count, if you count Kill Bill as two movies and not one, doesn't he only appear in one of them? Yeah, he only appears in in, in volume two. Right. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, he's pretty much been in every single one of his movies. But you, but now you brought up a glorious bastard. You just reminded me, bro. Fucking uh, Eli Roth going all cardy at the end when he goes like Margarita. Oh, yeah, right, <laughs> Christoph yeah. Waltz is calling his bluff. Yeah. Like Margarita, I love that scene. That's one of probably my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that I always found, even when I watched it for the first time, I always found so uneven is how Hans Lanza, when he betrays Germany, when does he make up his mind to do that? Because if you notice, that always seemed weird to me. Because did he make up his mind when he's in the theater that he had already thought about it? Like that, that's kind of weird to me because it just it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, like yeah, the, the, the turn cut. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. I, I, my interpretation was that I guess when he saw that, like you know, I guess freaking like you know, American GIs were able to get even get tickets for this, and she's he saw that you know. That's uh, funny. Right. That, that's a good explanation. I'll take it. That's and a good Diane Kruger's, you know, was the traitor. He figured, you know what, I, this is all gonna come down anyway. I better like you know plan my escape essentially. So that's why the, the, he made see, the, the deal. The way I always the the way I always uh, interpreted that. Um, is that and and I maybe thought about it a little more just because I I love this movie so much. Is that Hans Landa, as much as he is, you know, an evil bastard, he's also smart, and he probably even though it's never explicitly stated, he probably realizes that they're gonna lose anyway. So when he when he sees the 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 uh, the Americans, he just sees that as his opportunity. So like that, I think that. I think it's not that he – it's not when he decided to turn on Germany. It's that he just saw the opportunity then and just took it. Yeah, but then – so you're saying that he killed Diane Kruger almost as this weird moral obligation to do so even though he didn't really – you know, he didn't really have to. Because at that point, he's already made up his mind he's going to, he's gonna, you know, betray Germany or betray whatever, Hitler, you know? yeah. So first he kills her and then he does this. So I imagine that that. So yeah, I guess he's, he's still an evil douche. So like yeah, that's what I'm saying. In his weird, twisted, ethical ways, she still was a traitor and she should pay. You know, even though he's about right. to do the he's same thing. To, exactly. Yes. And it, 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 I think it was more uh, 
her getting one over on him. No, her thinking she was going to get one over on him than him actually being like a patriot for his country. That's what it was more. Yeah, he, he, yeah exactly. He, his ego wouldn't let him let her win. Yeah, so so um, other than that, I have no problems. Donnie Donowitz, I mean, it was supposed to be Adam Sandler for crying out loud. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad he turned that down because that would have been really wacky. Although if it, if it was Adam Sandler could stepped up his game, maybe he would have given us a good performance. But Adam Sandler can step up his game when he wants to, though. So I think he could have. I think Tarantino could have directed him into a good performance. But it would have been so dark, though. In a way, I wanted to see it. Like it would have been just like such a fucking reverse of his character. Absolutely, but I'm my curiosity is peaked with that. There's a parallel universe out there where that movie exists, and I kind of want to see it. <laughs> Me too. Well, you do have you do have Mike Myers with a with an English accent. So. Yes. The Mike Myers comes out of nowhere. <laughs> and the Fastbender, I I never understood how the Fastbender got credited at number three, and he's only in there for that one scene in the bar. That's pretty much in the in the. It was, it, it was the scene with the with Mike Myers in the scene like in the bunker before they go to the bar, and then the bar scene. And that's it for him. <laughs> yeah, but that bar scene, much like Tarantino's staple, that's about a 35-minute scene, and it's just in one but, scene. But it's awesome, bro. Like, that whole thing, just from start to finish. Oh, hell yeah, the, the, the tension. Well, Tarantino exactly. has been able to build tension. He's great at that. He always, In all his movies, he has fucking great, amazing capability to build tension, especially the last three. He's really evolved. Since the last three have been phenomenal. Like, they've been all perfect movies, to me anyway. Yeah. You know just he doesn't do that. You could tell, especially watching them back to back to back like I did. You could tell his evolution as a filmmaker. Like you could tell how, how good he's getting. And, the, and he started off at this wacky fanboy making movies with Reservoir Dogs. Because Reservoir Dogs is a big as homage to just everything that he saw in the video story. That's all. You know, fucking Tim Roth. One moment he's an American. The more the next minute he's uh, a British guy. If you notice. He can't say the Lost Boys properly, which always pops me because he just can't say it. Who knows how many takes Tarantino made of Luke? Like, the yeah. Lost Boys. Who the I fuck? I'm so, trying to watch the Lost Boys. Yeah, the Lost Boys, and all of a sudden he becomes it's Nick Star, you know. But uh, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, and then you see him evolve into this great filmmaker. And I think his last three films, that's it. Like he's just an amazing fucking filmmaker. Yeah. He's still not my favorite. Because but, I, but he's one of the best. But he's awesome. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. But uh, I think we're done here, guys. So uh, all right, that'll all right, do yeah. it for episode seventy-four of Horror Perspective. Any questions, comments, feedback, just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. Just be sure to put in the subject line Horror Perspective or FP. I'll leave the floor to you guys for now. Any plugs you guys want to give? Go go right ahead. Uh, yes, uh, I would like to point you over to uh, EssentialFilmsPodcast.com, yes. uh, where Mark and I have uh, have been doing is uh, our new sister brother podcast. I don't know how you call it. Uh, our <laughs> blood relative of uh, of of uh, for so, so this is the ten chlorophyll lane to chlorophyll. Yeah. Yes. Well, there uh, you go. <laughs> the Essential Films podcast where we discuss classic movies. Uh, we we did uh, Citizen Kane a few episodes back, and now. Uh, the last episode we did The Godfather. Our next episode, which will, which just coming which soon, was randomly generated by our patented random movie generator, not right. the Tumblr for those thinking. Oh, otherwise. okay. But. Yeah. So <laughs> it, our next episode will be on Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. So uh, look forward to that. Uh, EssentialFilmsPodcast.com. Yes. Right. Uh, you know, we got a uh, this week. We have uh, the K Fabulous Lucha Brothers. We have our guest, uh, Double G, Gary Gonzalez from Fight Game Blog, and we're going to cover the May 21st 
2001 Monday Night Raw from San Jose, A, because he was there, and B, because it has quite possibly one of the, uh, if not the greatest Raw match of all time, which is uh, when the two-man power trip of Steve Austin and Triple H lost the tag titles to uh, Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. So, um, and that's when Huntor tore his quad. That yes. was the, and, and that match is incredible from start to finish. It's a lesson on how to sustain heat in a, in a town. Like, you would expect Chicago to be that loud, but man, the heat in that building, when that match is taking place, it's just a lesson on how, how to be a good babyface and how to be a good heel. And um, I, I'll never disrespect Huntor because he finished the match when he didn't have to. You could tell he's in a lot of pain, and he still fucking pulled it through. And he even allowed Jericho to give him in the walls of Jericho with a torn quad. He's right there on the announce table for what seems like minutes on end, and he wow. still finished it. So that's what we got going on. Uh, we last week we won. We got we did an episode that's getting very very good reviews. Uh, Where me and Danny, myself in a very embryonic, I don't know what I say, alcoholic state of mind. Uh, we we got the three rosters from WWE, TNA, and Ring of Honor. And we talked about who's alpha and who's beta. beta. That's a great show, by the way. I'm, 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 so I'm not done with it yet. Yeah, I'm like three quarters of the way through, but it's been great so far. Well, I got to well, commend you guys for that episode. What are, what are the real men's men in professional wrestling? And what are the pussies in professional wrestling? And it's very fun. It's very wacky. It's very lighthearted. We, we say a disclaimer. Don't take anything of this personal. We're just having a good time. And uh, we talk about all that stuff. So I, told the, I, I told D, actually, after I heard like that that first part of the episode, like, oh, I didn't know that I was only eight days older than Wyndham Rotunda. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he was born eight days after me. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's good. Well, it, it doesn't matter who you talked about who, as who's alpha or not, because Haku beats them all. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He sure does. That, 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 that's that's the that's the state. We, we people need to emulate Haku more. <laughs> so that's I, pretty much it. Yeah. All right. So anybody? I mean, I'm I'm done. Anybody have any parting words in before we sign off for good? Go watch Cloverfield and uh, watch Triple A, Triple A for uh, or Triple Nine. Triple A, but Triple A, you mean? Watch Triple A if you want to. <laughs> if you want to watch Triple Nine, uh, watch it for the for the wackiness of it. Just a fucking mess. But one of those one of those movies that's a mess and it'll turn around and be a good movie. You won't you won't feel like you wasted your two hours. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. But I guess we're done then. So on behalf of Adolfo and Draven on Sports Guy Five One Five, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Take it easy, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Smoggy, want you to take care of my new boy here. You find him a room with a soft bed, then you bring him up a pony to lick his pole. You be ready to travel to Candyland tomorrow morning now, you hear? Yes, sir, Mr. Candy. Oh, uh, before you go, Roscoe, get Fred here a tall beer. You enjoy that, boy. You've earned it. Yes, sir. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.